Ole Miss fans, you can never be too careful, especially these days and with young kids at home. Don't take any chances and secure your home with Eufy Smart Lock, an easy install all-in-one security device for your front door and that peace of mind we're all looking for. I myself am a Eufy user, and I can tell you firsthand, go ahead and ditch those house keys forever, grab a Phillips head screwdriver because that's all you'll need, and give Eufy Smart Lock a try today. No monthly fee, and Eufy customer service is waiting on standby 247 to help you with any and all home security needs. So what are you waiting for? Head to Vault Hemingway or the Pavilion or Swayze Field to cheer on your Ole Miss Rebels with the reassurance your home is in good hands with Eufy Smart Lock. Eufy Video Lock makes it easy to keep an eye on things back home. Its built-in camera can tell you who's at the front door from the comfort of your stadium seat. Search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com, eufyofficial.com slash video lock, to see how you can gain complete control of your door. That's Eufy Smart Lock and Eufy Video Lock, a proud sponsor of the Talk of Champions Podcast Network. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. You're tuned in to Grip It and Rip It, sponsored by LB's Meat Market. We're going to get started here in a second, but first, let's hear from LB's. Grip It and Rip It with Brian Scott Rippey is brought to you by LB's Meat Market. LB's, the preeminent butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi, the place to go for any and all of your meat needs. Just right now, they've got the Lane Train Special, a six-ounce bacon-wrapped filet for $10. they got fresh seafood, grill packs, and a lot of different types of sausages. Put simply, if your grill is in need of meat, the only place to go in Oxford, Mississippi, is LB's Meat Market. Give them a call today at 662-259-2999. That's 662-259-2999. Stop by and see them at 2008 University Avenue. That's just across the street from Kroger. It's LB's Meat Market, your butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi. What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday evening, I guess, at this point. Hope everyone had a safe and happy uh, Christmas holiday season, whatever you celebrate. Uh, We're doing it a little bit different on this podcast. We are combining fresh cuts and combining grip it and rip it. What does that mean other than me normally not being able to get the name of either podcast right when I'm on it? Nothing really, but we are combining our fresh cuts. I had Greg on. We picked the week 17 games and the college football playoff and the other bowl games after a week off in week 16 uh, for the holidays just really didn't get the timing did not work out to record an episode around Christmas. So we're doubling it up today. We have a double extra long podcast for you. Maybe you have to work on thank or on Thanksgiving. Good Lord. My mind is still in November. Maybe you have to work on new year's 
if you do, you either have a really important job that saves people or you probably need to get a new job because your boss sucks. But either way, we have a long podcast. Maybe you're traveling home. Who knows? But we are going to talk to John Blau, who is an Indiana beat writer for the Times Herald. I talked to John about a lot of different stuff, big picture stuff with Indiana. There's a lot of similarities between Indiana's defenses rise to one of the better defenses in college football and Ole Misses um, from that 2012 to 2014 span. Really kind of a lot of similarities in how Tom Allen has built this program as well as Hugh Freeze. We got into that. We got into the matchup. We got into Indiana's quarterback situation, a lot of other topics. I appreciate John's time. And there were a lot of interesting answers. He gave will give you a better idea about Saturday's matchup, uh, 11.30 a.m. kickoff in the Outback Bowl. And then the back half of this podcast will be your normal fresh cuts. So we'll go from Indiana uh, beat writer John Blau straight into fresh cuts for an uber long podcast. If you don't like the uh, beat writer uh, section of the podcast, then just fast forward about a half an hour into the podcast into fresh cuts. If you don't like fresh cuts, then you can listen to the front half of the podcast. If you don't like either, I don't really know why you're here or why you'd be listening to this anyway. So I'm rambling at this point. Hope everybody has had a safe and happy Christmas. And without further ado, we now welcome on John Blau. John covers the Indiana Hoosiers for the Herald Times. Go check him out. He is on Twitter at John, J-O-N underscore Blau. John, I appreciate you taking a minute out of your day to uh, come chat with us for a minute, kind of talk some matchups, some other things. How are you doing? Doing good. How are you? Uh, doing well. Doing well. Kind of uh, just getting getting out of the holidays, kind of getting back into, I guess, uh, kind of a work mindset, if that if that makes sense. And uh, looking forward to the game this weekend. Um, I appreciate you joining us. We'll kind of get into a number of different topics. I think the first one, uh, first thing I got for you is this is kind of topical because we're recording this on a Wednesday morning on Tuesday, head coach Lane Kiffin said that he was having trouble kind of keeping guys around in the sense that they have some COVID stuff. They have some opt outs. He's basically said he was actively trying to recruit his players to kind of stick this thing out. And it's been interesting to watch this in college football this year, because I think it's really dependent on the situation and kind of the trajectory of a team season and really where the program is at. Has Indiana, to your knowledge, had any of that at all? My initial guess would be no, not as much, just because of the type of year they're having. Yeah, no. I, Tom Allen brought up the fact that they had a meeting. They they did ask their players to get their input about whether they want to play or not. There was some disappointment about not getting a New Year's Six Bowl. Um, that was something they obviously thought they had a really good chance of getting. Um, but I don't think there was really much doubt about it. Uh, when they, when they were going to have a chance to play a bowl game, they were going to play a bowl game. I mean, this is a program that hasn't won a bowl game since 1991. So, uh, there's a lot at stake. There's a lot that they can still accomplish in terms of, um, kind of checking off a thing that they, they haven't done really a long time. So, um, we haven't really heard much about that. Obviously they had their own COVID issues that canceled the last two regular season games, but the hope is that everybody, you know, comes back, is healthy, and they're ready to go uh, play a bowl game and try to win it. That was kind of the next place I was going with that is kind of on top of that. How, how, what was the reaction? Because, you know, as someone, it's been kind of harder to follow college football from a national standpoint this year because, like, all the leagues are kind of doing their own thing and everything is so fragmented. But one of the initial shockers that jumped out when seeing this 
the slow, painful bowl release that we did throughout an entire day on Sunday was seeing Indiana not in a New Year's Six game. That was probably one of the more shocking storylines really to come out of that day. What was kind of the reaction from the players? How did they rebound from it? And just from a coverage standpoint, how surprised were you? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's been a thing for the last the last few weeks of the season. Um, the CFP ranked IU at number 12 initially. And obviously they're new to the CFP and Indiana hasn't had this type of history. So I don't think immediately it was that big of a diss. Uh, but then they went on the road uh, to Wisconsin and beat them. And that was at the time the number 16 team in the CFP. They did not move up a single spot. Um, and that's when there started to be Twitter reaction, the players being like, this is ridiculous. Like, what, what is the CFP doing? And it was somewhat the same reaction, like you said, through during that long and painful um, CFP kind of, a you know, bowl release show that ESPN did. Uh, there were there were a lot of players that were, you know, even taking to Twitter and expressing their dissatisfaction with what was going on. It was kind of a double whammy too because IU didn't get the New Year's Six and then they didn't even get the Citrus Bowl which was considered the next best bowl. Um, Northwestern ended up getting that and and uh, Northwestern you know had a couple of losses um, IU fans believe you know that, that, that they're probably a better team the Hoosiers than the Wildcats this year um, so there was a, there was a lot of uh, frustration uh, Tom Allen tried to spin it positively um, just because, like you said, the opportunity to play in a bowl game is just such a big deal for them. He, he loves this team so much. He didn't want uh, this whole thing to become a, you know, a narrative that distracted from it. Uh, but it was definitely something they had to move past. And yeah, I mean, I think most writers were a little surprised. I mean, obviously, there's the arguments to be had about the number of games played. You know, the Big Ten didn't play as many because they started later. Um, you know, I, obviously, I you missed this last two games. There's couple of opportunities there to lose that they didn't have. There's arguments you can make, but um, considering the, the historic nature of the season IU had, it was very surprising uh, that they didn't get a bowl that was better than this. And obviously Ole Miss and Tom Allen, a lot of the coaches have said this, you know, that they have a four and five record, but if they had non-conference games, they'd probably be an above 500 team. It's very similar to playing Tennessee last year. You can't underestimate Ole Miss, but I think just the, the uh, the visual there of you know, now you're playing a team that's four and five from the SEC. I, I think that kind of upset uh, some fans. It, it was a little confusing, definitely. Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes sense. And I'm asking you to guess here, but you obviously you have the Penix injury and they go really have an impressive win where they rode their defense over Wisconsin the next week, win 14 to six. But then, as you mentioned, they give it two tries to try to play a pretty pretty average to below average Purdue team and it doesn't happen. Do you think if they kind of had that final uh, I guess, you know, 35, 10 or something where they look like they're clicking on all cylinders, even with the backup quarterback in that last game. Uh, do you think that would have made a difference? Because like the, the recency bias is always interesting to me when, when discussing these things, particularly in this COVID year, because Ole Miss in a, from an individual standpoint kind of fell victim to it. Like Matt Corral had a, until the LSU game, ironically enough, had a hell of a season going on, but Ole Miss had not played back-to-back games since October by the end of the year because of COVID and other things. So some of those guys, particularly Elijah Moore, kind of got lost in the shuffle when talking about you know national awards, national recognition. Not that that matters a, a whole hell of a lot, but do you think some of that kind of went into the bowl thing with Indiana just not being able to play the last couple of weeks? I mean, it's possible. I mean, obviously you, you deprive yourself of an opportunity to move up there. Um, I, I do think, obviously, Michael Penning's getting hurt. 
Uh, you have a new quarterback in there who is quote unquote, the backup. Um, but Jack Tuttle is a guy who is an elite 11 quarterback. Uh, he was probably ranked, he was ranked higher than Mike, Michael Penix uh, in, in the class when he was coming out as a recruit. And he's a really, really talented quarterback who they just happen to have as their backup. But you know, there, there is that, you know, quote unquote thing there where they're, they're playing with their backup quarterbacks. They're not the same team. It would have given IU another chance to go out there and, and show what Jack Tuttle can actually do. Uh, there is that. Uh, at the end of the day, though, I mean, the explanations that the CFP committee was giving Gary Barta just didn't really seem to make a lot of sense. You know, obviously, Ohio State is six and oh, they're they're in the CFP. They're playing for the national title and they're saying the whole time, well, you know, they played six games, but they do have a win over top 10 Indiana. <laughs> but then, you know, Indiana, when when they get, get around to talking in Indiana, they say, well, you know, they didn't really they don't have quality wins, even though they were within seven points of Ohio state. It just like the logic was confounding. Um, and so I don't know necessarily if, if playing Purdue and beating Purdue would have done anything because it wouldn't have been considered quote unquote, a quality win according to Gary Barta. So, so who knows? It, it was a very interesting, um, you know, at the end of the day, it, it may be the right decision. Who knows? I mean, it's hard to tell uh, in this season, especially because, you know, no non-conference, there's no, you know, comparison between conferences. Who knows how strong the Big Ten is this year necessarily. Um, but the way the, that everything was explained, it just made everything just harder to digest for everybody, I think. Sure, absolutely. And one of the other things in this weird kind of strange COVID season that when I'm looking up, particularly when, you know, aside from Ole Miss, but just watching other teams across the country, like Indiana's, I think, a textbook example of this, where it's like you were kind of robbed in a sense of not having a normal year from I know Penn State ended up really struggling. But the way that first game unfolded and uh, in, in where they were ranked at the time and how Indiana won that game and it happening in an empty stadium, like they were kind of robbed in a sense for not having a normal year because it seemed like Bloomington would be crazy and kind of the not that fan interest is not through the roof because they're having a hell of a year, but just having the sense of normalcy and everything else. And, you know, the game day segments and all of that in Indiana feels like they've been one of those teams. And I say all of that to, I guess, preface this question as, as covering this team, as you're heading into whatever version of an off season they had, did you see this coming at all? Like, was this on the horizon or how out of nowhere did, was this? Um, I think it was, I think you have to see things before you believe things. I know obviously within a locker room, they believe that they're great and they can do things like this. But if you're an outsider, just trying to look at this objectively, you know, obviously they haven't beaten Penn state uh, a lot in their history. I think once uh, all time in the series, you know, they had lost 24 straight times to Michigan. Um, There was just so much history that told you that a lot of these things shouldn't happen. Now, now in terms of the strength of the team, um, the, the one really exciting piece was potentially the, just the defense, how, how it was a really, really young defense. It, it showed potential at times, uh, last season. Um, and you knew they were all coming back. And, and that was the hope that if, if the defense could become what everybody thought it could become, this could be one of the better IU football teams in a really long time. And that really did, you know, come to fruition. It, it you know, Kane Womack was able to, and obviously the old Miss connections came Womack, uh, Dave, his dad was the, the defensive coordinator for Ole Miss a while back. Uh, he was able to bring some really creative blitzes. They're getting after people. Um, you know, they're sending cornerback blitzes. Um, uh, Micah McFadden becomes a first team, you know, uh, all big 10 linebacker and all American linebacker. 
Um, he was a sophomore last year who was good, but now he's great. Um, there's been a lot of things that have happened that have kind of balanced out this team where last year they were really just scoring points and, and playing in some real you know, track meets and games. Uh, this year, they could win a shutout on the road at Michigan State, win 24 to nothing. Uh, they could, you know, kind of really bear down on Michigan, you know, a team that usually could just run right through them and really hold the line of scrimmage and win that game. I mean, there was always a hope that this IU team could be this good. And that was one of the things with obviously with the COVID situation, the disappointment IU fans had was, wow, we could be at like potentially our best team in a really, really long time and we can't play. Uh, but then when, when they got to play, yeah, they, they showed not only that they were what everybody thought they might be, but they went and then won some games that they hadn't won in so long and completely just changed the narrative. It really was, um, you know, I wouldn't say completely surprising, but it was definitely, you know, what you would call a quote unquote dream season just because of the way things are, the way things came together. And I think probably the biggest exposure Indiana got on the national stage this year was the Ohio state game. And like admittedly myself, that was probably the, I don't think Ole Miss was playing that week, which helped, but like, I, I think that was probably the only time I watched a full IU game this season. And that was such a strange game in the sense that you, you know, we talked about the defense kind of carrying this team and kind of being the identity of it, which I'll get to in a second, that that's similar to kind of old Mrs. Rise under Dave Womack in 2014 and Hugh Freeze and all that. But you get into that game and it, it's like they weren't even really playing that bad. It seemed like it just kind of got away from them very quickly at the end of the half. I mean, hell, I think it was 14-7 with five or six minutes to go in the first half and then it just unravels pretty quickly. What was kind of the reaction coming out of that game? Because they played so strongly offensively in the second half. You had a lot of particularly like national pundits kind of leave the game with a hell of a lot better feeling about Indiana than Ohio state at the time. And it would just seem like a hard game to gauge just from a kind of a local coverage standpoint. And you being as close to the team as anyone, what was kind of their reaction leaving that game? Was it what could have been or kind of a, I guess not moral victory, but feeling a, a lot better about how they played in the second half. Yeah, I think, I think the, the kind of the narrative coming out of it was that there was really somewhat of a silver lining there. Um, that they were able to salvage what they did at the end of that game. Obviously, though, from IU's perspective, from the team's perspective, um, it was, you know, we didn't come here just to come close. And so there was a lot of disappointment. But I, I do think from a more outsider perspective um, that they did salvage a whole lot with that. But like you said, it was close. But there were times early in the game where it, it looked like Ohio State was going to run away with this thing. They were just physically you know, bigger, stronger, faster you know, all the things you expect Ohio State to be just because of, of the way they recruit. Um, but like you said, I mean, they bared down. Um, they were going in for a touchdown, you know. Um, I forget what that – if I would have tied it up or, or what, I forget. But then they fumble the ball, you know, and Ohio State goes the other way and scores a touchdown. And then, like you said, more touchdowns after that and then score the first time they get the ball in the second half. It's 35-7. to seven. You think, like, oh, man, this is a disaster uh, in terms of that, how this is about to turn out. But then – you know, Ty Freifogel catches a long touchdown pass from Michael Penix, which looks like a garbage time touchdown to start. And then, and then they get another touchdown and another touchdown. It's all of a sudden they get the ball back. And you're like, wow, they could actually go down the field right now and tie it back up. I mean, we saw this against Penn state, they can do the same thing. And so it, it showed that, you know, at the end of the day, you know, Ohio state probably is the better team, but IU can compete with and even potentially beat teams like that, which was a huge step. Um, last year, they lost 51 to 10 to them. So, uh, yeah, it, it was a huge change in the narrative 
um, being able to, you know, get that seven point loss. Again, it didn't seem to really affect things much with the CFP, which was confusing. Um, but it, it definitely was a big deal. They were able to close in and make that a close game. How is Tom Allen's, I mean, this is kind of a dumb question at the same time, but I, I do find it fascinating. How has Tom Allen's, I guess, perception around Bloomington and the football program changed, I guess, in these last couple of years? Because the, like the circumstance in which he took over, I don't think is like your typical, you know, taking the reins of a program, but he seemingly hasn't missed a beat. And Ole Miss kind of dealt with its own interim situation after the Hugh Freeze thing and sticking with Matt Luke permanently. And most people listening to this podcast probably do not want to hear me rehash that. But point being, it's always interesting when an interim guy ends up landing the permanent gig and how that's perceived by the fan base. How, how did that kind of start when he first got the name, the permanent head coach and kind of how has that evolved really, I guess from 2019 on in particular? Yeah. I mean, it- I mean, there are always going to be haters and there's always going to be people that are really cynical. (laughs) And the thing with Tom Allen was, is he did not have any D1 head coaching experience. Um, He had been a defensive coordinator at South Florida for a year. Then he comes to IU for a year as a defensive coordinator. And all of a sudden they're appointing him head coach. And not only was he, you know, he didn't have any experience at the D1 level as a head coach. He, his last head coaching experience was at the high school level and it was in Indiana. So, so people in Indiana knew him as Tom Allen, the head coach at Ben Davis high school in Indianapolis. <laughs> and, and so, you know, the, the, the thing, the shtick was that he was a high school coach. If anybody wanted to hate on Tom Allen, it's like, Oh, he's a high school coach. Like why did IU promote a high school coach to, you know, coach their football team in the big 10? This is, this is crazy. Um, but you know, after a couple of five win seasons, um, you know, just not quite there. You know, it became a joke. He, he had the word kind of breakthrough was, was the deal we're going to break through and they just never quite broke through. And then last year, yeah, with that a win season, it, it kind of felt like finally there was a breakthrough and, and there, and there were things again that, that people could hit on. I mean, they didn't beat anybody with an above 500 record. They went on the road to Nebraska, you know, obviously one of those historically really great uh, teams that won and, and Tom Allen was pounding the table and, talking about this was a breakthrough and all that. Uh, But I think this season really, really solidified uh, the love for Tom Allen. You you don't hear anybody uh, talking about he's a high school coach anymore. That's actually part, part of the charm of his story now (laughs) is that this guy who back in 1992 was the head coach at Temple Heights Christian school um, in Florida and, and Tampa is now going back to Tampa for a bowl game. Um, with IU and just his, you know, fourth season as a division one head coach. And, uh, you know, the whole love each other LEO thing has really taken off. I mean, he's been on all these podcasts and I think with like Duke, uh, Duke head coach, Mike Krzyzewski, like had him on and said, like during it said like, damn, like Tom, I want to play for you. Uh, things like that. And that, that is really like whipped up the fan base to a point where if he can keep this going, I mean, I, I, the, the, to IU basketball is obviously usually the, the greatest show in town here. Uh, IU football has totally cast a shadow over IU basketball at this point. I mean, people are really, really fired up about IU football. And Tom Allen is, is you know, kind of at the center of that. And so, you know, things have completely changed. Um, and, and, you know, not everybody's cynical, so I wouldn't say it's a complete 180. I don't know if everybody thought that way. But anybody who did has gotten really quiet nowadays. So it sounds like that was probably going to be an interesting follow-up I had once you mentioned it. You sound like you you think that's potentially doable. Now, what level of success is he able to maintain in the next three to five years? 
I don't know. That'll be kind of interesting to watch play out. But if it does continue on a similar trajectory, is this like, like you mentioned, it, it's, it's huge. As, I mean, I have family from around that part of the country and a couple of IU grads. Like, you know, like you mentioned, basketball is, is kind of everything there. But you kind of made it sound like you think that is potentially possible to, to cast a bit of a shadow over kind of the Goliath program on campus traditionally. Do you, do you think that could happen? I mean, it's, it's always possible. I mean, I, I, obviously, if IU basketball has a turnaround here, they're five and four right now. And, you know, things are a little gloomy. Uh, if IU basketball is able to create a turnaround, you know, maybe, you know, maybe there's equal attention paid. Maybe IU basketball is still the bigger thing. And like you said, is it sustainable? I don't know. Um, but at the same time, they are like the darling story right now. I mean, it's like, you know, the, the IU football teams, the thing like, wow, like, look at what they've done. This is amazing. And maybe a little bit looking back on basketball being like, why can't you guys turn it around? You know, like IU football time, I was <laughs> able to figure it out. Why can't IU, which had Bobby Knight, and, you know, all, all this tradition of basketball, why can't you guys figure it out? But um, it, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how it, you know, kind of plays itself out. Uh, over the years, is it sustainable? I mean, who knows? I mean, are they going to be able to hop uh, programs like Michigan, Penn State? You know, are they, are they ever going to be able to get a level of a, an Ohio State or get to a point where they're so much more even where they can win one of those games against them? Uh, it, it's, there's still steps to be taken. Um, but, I mean, it's, it's you can never say never. I mean, it's it's always possible that, you know, he keeps it going. He obviously has a little bit of charisma. Um Players like him, I think he's genuine. Uh, if Tom Allen can bring in more athletes, uh, you never know where it could go. It'll be interesting to see. The the framework for which how he's kind of built this thing is is how is really similar to kind of how this happened with Ole Miss from 2012 to 2015, and it was built around its defense. And I'm just curious, was the build up to what this IU defense is this year similar in the sense that so Ole Miss it was kind of they. Oh, they were coming off a two and 10 season and 11. They overachieved in 12. You figured they were going to have one of the worst defenses in the conference, but actually turned in a pretty serviceable group, kind of solidified a lot of things up front in 2013. And then they add a couple pieces at the same time, the Robert Kim uh, you know, whoever else you want to put in that 2013 class. And then that back end just kind of came nasty with Tony Connor and, and Mike Hilton and Cody Pruitt and some of those other guys who are the secondary and I know that's kind of how Wombick plays and, and gives them a lot of freedom, I guess, to kind of make plays. But you could kind of see that the the seeds of it planted in 2013. And then once they added a couple more guys, it was kind of off to the races in 14. Is Could you like I guess was the structure similar in that sense on the defensive side of the football where you could see this building a couple years in the making? Yeah, I mean, uh, you saw the again, like I said before, there were a lot of really young players who are getting experience during that 2019 season, particularly in the secondary. Um, they've got, you know, Taiwan Mullen was a breakout star as a freshman. Um, it, you know, he, he really rose up the depth chart. Now he's a sophomore. They bring him off the edge. They'll blitz him. He's this little guy, but he's tough as nails. Um, they've got two juniors, uh, Reese Taylor and Jalen Williams. Jalen Williams is actually an old Miss committed for about a month uh, back in the day uh, who are really, really talented guys who have really come into their own. They have two safeties, Jamar Johnson and Devon Matthews um, from Florida who are, have really come into their own as well. And what is allowed is that they've, they've been able to mix up their coverage more uh, on the back end. And so they can bring blitzes before they were always playing man. And they knew when there was a blitz coming, we got man-to-man, and I got this matchup one-on-one. 
now they're they're mixing in lots of zone coverages, vision coverages, where you know guys are able to kind of read the quarterback and react and make plays. And and because they've got that experience and that talent level and athleticism on the defense, uh, they've been able to really um, take things to another level defensively because they've been able to confuse quarterbacks. I mean, it's not just one read, make a throw, one of the blitz is coming. Sometimes quarterbacks are sitting there for an extra half second, second, trying to figure out where guys are because they're just throwing so much different stuff at them. And it also has to do with the, the run game as well. They've gotten better along the defensive lines, which is, which is huge because teams can't just you know run it down their throat either. So, um, but yeah, the secondary has really, really been a big deal in terms of the transformation of this defense this year. Yeah, and uh, the the defensive line point, I think you nailed it there because just as I'm going to mention an outsider watching, that was one of the things once things kind of got settled in that Ohio State game was like, okay, Indiana's kind of could could hang around here if they kind of, I guess, rectified the the disaster that was the end of the second quarter there is because they matched up on the defensive line. And I think that's oftentimes the difference between the Ohio States of the world and, and other programs. And it's really no different in the SEC where, you know, Ohio State wasn't running it all over them and they had guys you know, getting after it. And obviously you hear about the secondary because they've, you know, they lead the conference in interceptions with like 17 and seven games. And they also lead the conference in sacks. And I imagine that's kind of a, uh, a kind of a, a two prong thing there, because I imagine the secondary has a lot to do with the defensive line success and pass rushing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because the, the secondary is able to hold up in coverage. They're not just completely busting and leaving an open guy. Um, the quarterback has to hold the ball and the, and the, you know, the line is getting there for a sack because um, they don't have, I mean, IU doesn't really have, if you're going to look at them, you know, uh, some fierce edge rushers. I mean, they, they don't have a ton of those guys who are coming off the edge and really making things happen in one-on-one. Uh, it tends to be the linebackers blitzing, uh, opening things up, um, you know, discipline rush on the edge, trying to contain a, you know, a quarterback like Matt Corral can run and not really let him get away. Um, that's that's what tends to get home for them is blitzes. Um, so it has to do with, yeah, the secondary being able to hold their own in the back end, uh, make things confusing, and, uh, and kind of make those quarterbacks hold the ball and, and end up getting sacked. Before last thing, a couple of things before I let you get out of here is kind of moving to the offensive side of the ball. Like the defense is kind of where I don't really see this for Ole Miss in this game. Like, I mean, I think the line like opened at six and a half. I don't really know what it is at this point, but when Corral has a rough game, boy, he makes it like to the nth degree. I mean, he's got two games. He's got 13 turnovers in two games this year, um, which are kind of the two that stick out on their schedule as to what, 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 what the hell happened here. And it's obviously LSU and Arkansas. And I think, the combination of Indiana's ability to get to the quarterback coupled with this suffocating secondary is going to make life really hard on Ole Miss because one, they're without Kenny Aboa and Elijah Moore. And I think the one thing aside from Corral, not playing well in that LSU game was they didn't have guys getting open. No one was getting separation. He had nowhere to throw the ball. And he's so used to having to be so hyper aggressive because their defense is so bad that he forced mistakes that when you don't have a more or your bow on the field, they turn into turnovers as opposed to, you know, chunk plays and touchdowns. And that's kind of where I don't really see it for Ole Miss. And the other half of it is obviously how they've struggled defensively. And Indiana has been really good offensively for the most part this year. Obviously they lose Penix junior for the season. They play one game without him. What I guess a two-part question here is what did he mean to their success this year? And the second part, what is kind of the long-term future of the position look like there because you mentioned that 
you know, he goes out, but you know, the backup is an elite 11 kid and, you know, Penix is just a sophomore, if I'm not mistaken, just what have you thought of his season and what does that position look like in 2021? Yeah. Um, Michael Penix Jr. If, if you're going to talk about him, I mean, he's just a guy who can make throws that are hard to make. I mean, he's just, he's, he's kind of a funky quarterback. He's got kind of a weird release. He's a lefty, um, but he will, you know, sit in the pocket, sit in the pocket and get a ball through a window that you didn't think you'd get it through. Um, he's just got such a rifle arm. That's uh, really impressive. Um, Jack Tuttle, you know, came in that Wisconsin game was able to just kind of more manage things. Like he didn't have to, you know, go deep and, and do a, a ton of stuff that, you know, Mike Penix might've done, but he did just enough to win. Um, the difference is do we don't really know, you know, uh, can Jack Tuttle get to the place where he's throwing bombs every, you know, every other series like Mike Penix was um, in terms of the future of the position. Uh, Tom Allen has said, you know, they, they expect Mike Penix to rehab. They expect him to be back um, by the beginning of the 2021 season and to be their starting quarterback. I mean, that's, that's kind of the way they expect it to go. Obviously it's tough for a kid like Jack Tuttle um, who's in the same grade. I mean, they're both retro sophomores, um, but there's always that chance and that thought that Mike Penix is maybe potentially going to get drafted. Now uh, he's been hurt so many times. I mean, is it, is this a deal where it's going to be harder for him to attract that kind of attention or does he come back next year, have a great year and then going pro and then Jack Tuttle's starting quarterback next year, the next year after that 2022. I mean, it's an interesting, um, you know, case to kind of watch and and how that works out because yeah, in in this day and age, Tom Allen's talked about it a lot. Um, it's hard to get really talented quarterbacks, a guy like Jack Tuttle, uh, who's an elite 11 guy uh, to stay, you know, if you're not going to be the starting quarterback. Um, but they're hoping um, that, you know, he's obviously going to stay there. He's going to be an important backup quarterback. He's going to develop and then maybe his time might come eventually later down the road. But yeah, it is, it is kind of an interesting situation to see how that unfolds uh, to, with a guy who's extremely talented at Mike Penix, who just hasn't quite been able to stay healthy. And then a guy like Jack Tuttle, uh, who's, who's showing and may show again on Saturday that he's a pretty good quarterback and win games for you. Is that kind of the one thing you're looking at heading into this game as far as, cause like if, if Indiana plays well, they should beat Ole Miss. They're much better than Ole Miss is on both sides of the ball. I, I guess, particularly in the defensive side of the ball, Ole Miss at full strength offensively has been pretty good this for most of the year, but obviously if they're not at full strength with the guys that they're missing, is that kind of what you're looking for in this game? Cause it would seem like to me, the blueprint for Ole Miss to hang around and when this game would be Tuttle kind of letting Ole Miss do that in terms of turning it over or just Indiana not being able to move the football consistently on what has been a not great Ole Miss defense by any stretch. Is that kind of what you're looking at as the, I guess, the kicker in this game? Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering whether this game's going to be a trap meet. So, so honestly, it flips back to the defensive side of the ball for me. I mean, I know that Ole Miss is missing a bunch of guys, but Lane Kiffin is a you know, a great offensive play caller. I mean, I'm sure there's some depth there. I don't know how much depth. I mean, I guess that's the question of what is actually going to be out there. Um, but, you know, I know they're going to try to push the ball down the field. I know uh, Corral is a really talented quarterback. Can I use defense, um, hold this uh, within a score where it's not a game where Jack Tuttle has to go and score 35 points for IU? Um, because I guess you don't know quite yet if that's something that they're prepared to do. Uh, just because he hasn't had consecutive games under his belt. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, it, if it's a track meet or more of a track meet than IU is interested, is kind of, you know, used to, uh, can Jack Tuttle go and, and score those points? 
Um, if I use defense, it's able to, you know, contain a very limited, you know, Ole Miss offense that is missing pieces, um, then, yeah, things get a whole lot easier for IU in terms of what they have to expect offensively and, and how they have to operate. So, I mean, that, that to me is, is the dynamics and that's going to be interesting to watch. Sure. And that definitely makes sense. Cause as you know, as, as I mentioned, you know, guys not getting open at the same time, we'll miss still racked up, you know, 48 points and 500, whatever yards of offense in that LSU game, despite all the turnovers and all of the struggles. So I kind of agree. I guess that's kind of where this game will come down to is how, you know, can Indiana's defense kind of dictate the pace of this thing and, and, and the scoring to because that is kind of the one unknown with them is can Jack Tuttle, I guess, win a track meet. So that'll be kind of fascinating to watch. I think that's about all I had for you. I, I lied to you as I do most of our guests. I always underestimate the time. I really appreciate you joining us today. This was a uh, great stuff. Safe travels down to Tampa and um, be well. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. That was John Blau of the Times. Harold, really appreciate John's time. Excellent interview. Guy knows everything about the Hoosiers. Go check him out on Twitter at John J-O-N underscore Blau, B-A-L-B-L-A-U. Excuse me. Um, really appreciate his time. Thought that was great stuff. Hopefully you got a little better insight into the Hoosiers, this matchup. I think it's going to be a tough one for Ole Miss, but who knows? Maybe I'm wrong all the time, as you're about to hear in Fresh Cuts, if you've been listening all season. I'm wrong quite a lot. So, Without further ado, we got a two-parter going on today. So we've had the interview with John Blau, from, uh, who covers Indiana, and now we're doing our normal edition of Fresh Cuts. We took a week off, and that was on neither of us. I'm sure neither one of us took a week off from, uh, from the slate, from the book, but basically some inside baseball here. Uh, ben Garrett was basically just like, hey, I'm going off the grid for a week. Don't contact me. And he's the one that posts the pod because I don't have a SoundCloud account because he can't remember the password. Nobody finds this interesting at all, but that's why we took the week off. We were not letting the listeners down. What's up, dude? I don't know. Man, we've just been busy up here at the meat market and getting everybody fed for um, for, uh, for Christmas and New Year's and just, uh, you know, just uh, ready for 2021, man. You know, uh, fresh year and, uh, you know, new start. Hopefully it's a better year. But, uh, yeah, just, you know, going through the motions. Absolutely. It sounds like no days off for you on either front. I know yeah, there was no days yeah. off when it came for the book. We had Christmas Day at <laughs> yeah. NBA, NFL. It was uh, great. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny whenever you said that Ben said, hey, I'm going to uh, fall off the face of the earth for a week. You know, I really, really wish that I had, uh, I could press that button. That sounds like a really, really awesome button to press. Yeah, yeah I actually think I even texted him. He uh, about <laughs> us doing a podcast anyway and never got a response. So he lived up to it. Yeah, man, that sounds awesome. Uh, good for him. So, uh, you know, everybody needs to press that refresh button every once in a while, you know, whenever you're grinding out there. So, uh, yeah, we, uh, it, was a, it was a good week. Uh, I actually had one of my horses run um, uh, on Saturday and, and won the race by a neck. So that's always exciting when uh, – uh, when you get one of your horses uh, to run a race that we've been finally trying to get him in and he uh, won right there at the line. So yeah, it was pretty cool. So uh, yeah, I'm just ready to knock these bowl games out and some NFL, get some uh, money back in the pocketbooks. So no one remembers who we picked from two weeks ago. We've had an entire yeah. week 16 in the national football league happen since. So we're going to bypass the picks and basically it's postseason time for us too. You've got yeah, the so college football the playoff. Record. This absolutely <laughs> yeah. scratch the records. You know, the old saying uh, records don't matter when you get to the postseason. So we've got some college football playoff. 
We've got some postseason games. Obviously, the Ole Miss game coming up this weekend. Then we've got week 16 in the NFL. And then on top of that, obviously, the playoffs come after that. So we'll hit the week 17 in the NFL, count it as the playoffs, and then we'll hit into some of these college games. But uh, before we get into the board, what is, uh, what's happening at the store? I know you said as we were recording this, it was, a, uh, it was pretty busy at the store, which is where you're at now. People may think you're closed tomorrow, but that sounds like that's not the case. That This no, is December 30th yeah, no, we're, we're recording, by the way. Yeah, well, you know, um, I just got done cutting all our ribeyes and uh, cutting all our fillets. So we've got plenty of uh, fillets and ribeyes right now. I'll be getting a truck tomorrow. So uh, we'll be open from 10 to 2. I'm just telling everybody 10 to 2 because uh, if we don't get busy after 2 o'clock, you know, or we get busy after 2 o'clock, I can stay open. So uh, we're just doing 10 to 2 tomorrow and just, uh, uh, you know, uh, trying to get that refresh button pressed also uh, with everybody else. So, uh, but yeah, uh, we'll be open 10 to 2 tomorrow and um, I'll be getting a truck. So we'll be getting some fresh fish and uh, we'll have plenty of uh, fillets and ribeyes. And, you know, uh, uh, Zach just got done making a couple new sausages with hot jardinere. Um, so, man, uh, if, you, if you've never had it, you need to come and uh, try a bite. It's really good. And guess who is going to come by the store tomorrow? Oh, buddy. Uh, 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 the world famous? Is it the Yours world famous? truly is back yeah. in Oxford. Pulled into town at about 30 minutes before we hit the record button. First time back since I moved to Texas. So uh, I'll be out and about doing some some different things around the square if you want to like yell at me or hit me or whatever. Actually, I'd prefer <laughs> you just say hello. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> we're back in town. Can't wait to come see the store, dude. Yeah, it was so funny about Oxford, you know, and I had a friend move away from Oxford and, you know, he lived here a, sol a solid six, uh, six, seven, eight years. And I go, man, you know, when you move away from Oxford and then you finally get to come back, ain't nothing's changed and everything's still the same. You know, it ain't going to go nowhere just like that. So Oxford's always going to be Oxford for sure. The you funny you say that though. The first thing I saw is a brand new McAllister's on Jackson Avenue that doesn't appear to be open yet. So I was like, well, that's different. But to your point, everything else pretty much the same. Yeah, I, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have said uh, except West. Uh, I mean West Jackson Avenue. I mean, you know, there's a new business, new restaurant, new, uh, you know, clothing store, new everything uh, popping up on West Jackson, and I call that the the uh the suburb of, of dallas it seems like yeah no kidding it's like a revolving door but absolutely excited to get back excited to uh hit the square again it's gonna uh gonna be a fun weekend so check him out lb's university avenue across from kroger you know the drill i'll be checking them out lb's university avenue across from kroger and taking my own advice let's hit the uh let's hit the board let's get this uh get this rolling it's weird how closely have you been following these bowl games because from my vantage point like, I, it's kind of the same attitude. I know we've talked about this on the podcast before, but from my vantage point, it's kind of the same attitude that I've adopted for the end of the regular season where, like, I don't pay attention to the cancellations. It only, like, makes me sad. So when it's on TV, I'm watching it. But, like, it's a very much a day of, like, which games aren't canceled because we've had a lot of bowl games canceled. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it just um... – uh, I'm just a big fan of whatever's on the TV. You know, let's uh, look at the line and pull the trigger on it. And, and you know, and if you, you know, handicapped a game or looked at a bowl game that you liked and they put, they press the cancel button on it, it's kind of a bummer. But, you know, uh, sports are going to be sports right now. And, you know, you just got to be aware to the TV schedule and uh, whatever comes on, you know, you got to get on it. 
Yeah, the good news is, is we're nearing the end of this year, which stinks because no more football. But presumably this time next year, we're never going to have to deal with this stuff again. And I promise you the first time I see a full stadium full of people and a full slate of games where cancellations just aren't a thing, I'm probably never taking that for granted again. Yeah, I mean, you know, just uh, just it's been a weird year and, uh, you know, got to move forward with all this, everything that's been going on. But, you know, I guess the vaccine is the vaccine. Uh, are, we, are you going to take the vaccine so you can uh, so you can go to a full stadium full of fans to watch a football game? Yes, dude. I, I yeah, this I mean, is not even political in, in this sense. <laughs> I I would go if you went out into. I don't know, the middle of the square on a rainy day and filled up whatever you found in the gutter. And if they told me that made the world go back to normal, I'd be like, right here, right in this vein. I don't care. I would take anything to make the uh, to make the world go back to normal, not have to wear a mask, and be able to go to football games again. That's kind of yeah. the attitude I have. Yeah, I mean, you know, and it's just uh, we made it this far, and, and, you know, and if the COVID didn't get you, you know, you might as well pull the trigger on it but you know man I, I'm it is what it is I, I'm just you know hoping that the football can come back and get back to normal so we can you know enjoy uh sports and you know bring it back into a you know, uni- unity that it brings us to look the first the after four years of college and then the last four years of whatever I've been doing on the weekends from a social standpoint I promise you that's probably not the vaccine is probably not the worst thing for me. So I, uh, if I can conquer, uh, you know, eating chicken on a stick religiously for, you know, years on end, uh, every weekend, I don't think the vaccine is going to do me much harm. I'm not scared of the vaccine. Well, uh, only four that, and then that's good. You, you did really well with only the four year program. That is true. I did do the grad school, uh, really just kind of by happenstance, not really by choice. So, but yeah, finished on time. I probably should have taken a victory lap looking back now and just, uh, just kind of screwed it around, but yeah. So we're uh, I'm I'm all in on whatever gets the world back to normal. That's right. Which is well, so, soon soon to be. Let's hope. So here we go. Let's roll into the board this week. We're recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. I'm gonna put this up as soon as I possibly can, so I get, it'll go out uh, before this game happens more than likely. But uh, most people probably listening to it will either be listening to it after the game or the day after. It's Florida Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl on Wednesday night, but we'll pick it anyway. That'll be our wake up a winner game this week. Florida's had some opt outs. Dan Mullen just kind of had a show cause that he's pretty much already served. Just kind of ca- recruiting show cause that I should say that, uh, that just kind of has already casually pretty much played out that they just news dumped about a week and a half ago. They've uh, got a lot of guys opting out for the NFL. I believe Kyle Trask is playing in this game, but uh, outside of that, no Kyle Pitts, no Marco Wilson, a couple other dudes out. Florida is plus eight against Oklahoma. Where are you going here? Man, I like Oklahoma the way they've been playing down the stretch, you know. And all honestly, I think that, um, you know, they if uh, they had a little bit better case, I know they had two uh, early season losses. But, you know, as far as, uh, you know, uh, the team that is hottest coming into this, uh, I'll have to give that to the Oklahoma Sooners. And I just think that, you know, Dan Mullen's got a shit show going up, going in Gainesville, and uh, you know it didn't take long for that to happen. So, you know, I just like Oklahoma uh, the way they're playing right now, and you know, not having the opt outs and just um, you know rolling with the punches. So, and I honestly think Oklahoma rolls by two or three touchdowns here. I like it a lot. Wow, so that's an interesting one. I uh, I don't know really. Like, I would like to have done more research on the extent of Florida's opt out situation. 
But even without Kyle Pitts, they're still pretty good offensively. As long as Trask is playing in this game, which I believe he is off the just off the top of my head, I'll go Florida here. I think it's too many points. Until Oklahoma kind of proves that they're not, you know, Notre Dame of the Southwest or whatever the hell you want to call them when it comes to big time football games. I'm just not buying them. So I'll go Florida here, even without Pitts, even without some of their defensive weapons. I will go Florida here. So we're on opposite sides of this one. I forgot to do, so we'll still go with five locks, even though we're picking a bunch bowl games and NFL week 17 we'll stick with the five locks I think that's still a uh, still a fair one if you got a six one you really want to lock there's no rules on this so yeah because I've just been sitting around uh handicapping a bunch of games you know and not working I promise <laughs> so even so no New Year's New Year's Eve normally obviously a day very much uh football related we don't have a night game we've got uh, three day games pretty much and I'm just assuming whatever the night game was that I'm too lazy to look up got canceled but we are starting that day off with Mississippi State and Tulsa. And Tulsa, who is ranked, is a two-point favorite over the three and seven Bulldogs. I'm going to go Tulsa here. I've watched them on TV a couple of times. They're pretty good. I don't think State is very good, at least not this current version of them. So I will, uh, I'll go Golden Hurricane here, minus two. Yeah, I'm just going to go with the lock on the Hurricane here. I just, you know, uh, they, I think they've got a really good defense. They've got a linebacker. Surely he's almost All-American, I think. But um you know they've uh, had a good year and uh you know I, I bet against them against uh smu and uh they you know were spot they spied on 21 points and came back and won so uh, i like the resilience of this tulsa golden hurricane team and this is my first lock for sure i was on the wrong side of that tulsa smu game you speak of and thought i had that one in the bag that was yeah. a uh, tough one to wake up to the next yeah, morning. that was uh, um, that was one of my uh, uh, bets on the um, podcast with Neil, and I found you know his daughter actually rolled through me this uh, this uh, this season. I think she ends. I think she's at sixty eight and thirty four or something like that. And uh, you know I, she picked uh, Tulsa because her I think her one of her cousins goes there to school and I was like whenever we went up 21 to nothing I was like finally she gets one wrong and then they end up winning 24-21 so I mean that's just how this uh the season's been yeah and this is just a classic example of Tulsa is going to be more excited to play an SEC team than Mississippi State is going to be excited to play Tulsa I think that matters even though Mississippi State is not very good and Tulsa is technically the better team obviously in Vegas sense so I'll go Tulsa here, and you are on it as well and locking it. The third game of the day, the whole thing's going to be over by – or excuse me, second game of New Year's Eve. The whole thing's going to be over by like six, unfortunately. San Jose State, Ball State. I don't know much about either of these teams. I know San Jose State won their league. is having a hell of a year. They're minus nine and a half against Ball State. I'm going to go San Jose State here because I watched them play late night a couple times, and they're really good, and I don't know anything about Ball State. So that's pretty much all I got here. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just uh, almost kind of co- uh, flip a coin on this. But, yeah, I mean, you know, I remember at, at about two or three years ago, San Jose State being 35 to 45 point dogs. And uh, I don't know who they hired, but uh, really kind of turned it around and, you know, actually went in the, the uh, what is it, the WAC championship that they, they've won? I think they're in the whack. I do know to to what you're talking about, usually seeing them as 35 to 40 point dogs. It is probably the worst job in the FBS. ULM's up there. San Jose State's a really tough place to win. I forget the guy's name who's coached there now, but that's how former Ole Miss defensive coordinator Mike McIntyre made his hay is he won at San Jose State. 
And if you win at San Jose State, you're automatically, particularly on the West Coast, jumping on bigger schools' radars because that's just a tough job with not a lot of fan interest and not a lot of money. So whoever that is, and I can't think of his name right now, <laughs> doing one hell of a job. Uh, Ball State's got a pretty good team. They beat Buffalo in the MAC yeah. championship game, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, Buffalo had a good team too. They they uh, so. Man, it's a good. T- it's a, it's almost a good a good one to take the points here with uh with uh with uh, with Ball State being a high scoring game. But I'm gonna agree with you. I like San Jose State and where the pro- uh, program's going. And you know, I'm totally talking out of my ass right now. But uh, let's go with San Jose State, man. Yeah, I agree. I think they're gonna cap the. You know, I like always going with the ending to a storybook season in a bowl game, and that feels very San Jose State. So we're both on. The what are they? Are they the Trojans, Spartans, or something? Spartans. They're the Spartans. I was about to say they are. I know their their logo looks like the uh, yeah, the uh, blue, plan, uh, the baby yeah. blue and yellow, and you know they actually went to Arkansas a couple years ago and uh, beat them. So yeah, um, you know that program's turning around. We got got to got to uh, support a uh, a program on the rise. Yeah, I, you went with the uh, more mature approach there. I was just saying the only reason I know their mascot is because it looks like the. Uh, the logo you often see in family planning section. Um, so, yeah, I don't really know much uh, much else about them. So we're going San Jose State here uh, because of some really, really big brain logic. So both on the Spartans, Aztecs, whatever the hell they are, we're on the New Year's Day now. You all, like I mentioned, you only get three games on New Year's Eve because of whatever cancellations you had. You get a full slate on New Year's Day, and they're all pretty good football games. I say all pretty good. You got two access bowl games, and then you've got the two playoff games. So we're kind of into the meat of this college football schedule at this point. First one, we're getting it started with the Peach Bowl, 11 a.m. on New Year's Day. Probably all too familiar for Ole Miss fans uh, in this game, if you remember the TCU game from a couple years ago. Although I believe that one was technically on New Year's Eve, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, uh, because I, I remember a ton of fans just washing away their uh, sorrows uh, of a long day of drinking before New Year's Eve hit. But yeah, no, long story before halftime before halftime of that game. Yeah, that one was over before it started. That was a really beat up Ole Miss team on its last leg facing a TCU team. One cranking on all cylinders and two very pissed off. They got left out of the first college football playoff over Ohio state Baylor had a good team that year as well, but Georgia Cincinnati in this year's version of the game, Georgia Cincinnati is plus seven. This is an easy one for me. Cincinnati wants to be there. Cincinnati's got everything to prove. This is the classic no show game for sec team. Georgia. I don't think is at full strength. I'm going Cincinnati here with the lock. I don't even know if they're a better football team than Georgia, but I know they have more to prove and I know they want to be there. So I'm going Cincinnati plus seven with a lock. You know, I'm sitting here trying to. Uh, ha- I'm, I'm sitting here trying to, you know, agree with you on the seven points. But I actually like the money line. I don't need the seven points. I mean, this is a typical Alabama versus Utah uh, Sugar Bowl. I don't know how many years ago that was, but uh, you know, I think Alabama was like a 13 some odd point favorite and just literally didn't show up, and Utah just ran them up. And you know, Cincinnati's a good club. I, I mean, I. Uh, I feel bad that there's not an extra uh, couple of games in this uh, playoff. I think that they could have taken advantage of this being a very weird year and, you know, add, um, you know, uh, four more teams into the playoff. That's just me. You know, I'm just sitting here trying to, you know, uh, make some more money on, you know, on the situation at hand. But I think it would be good for TV and, you know, whatnot. But uh, I thought Cincinnati really had a shot and they've been, you know, a decent club and, that coach, uh, he's pretty decent, and he's a out Ohio State guy. So, 
uh, definitely knows what he's doing. So I like Cincinnati just to, you know, straight up win this game. You beat me to the punch there. The money line's plus 220. I'm all over this as well. Yeah, Maybe that's, it's that's a too predictable value. of a take, but I, I love it. I think they're going to beat them and beat them pretty good. To your point, they were the first. So if there was ever a year that actually pushes this thing to eight, it's the absolute chaotic shit show, for the lack of a better phrase, excuse my French, uh, that the way this played out and the lack of transparency and explaining the committee's reasoning week after week. I mean, Coastal getting screwed. It was really just the small guys getting screwed in favor of very average big big conference teams like Iowa State ranking ahead of Coastal. Of course, Hugh Freeze's Liberty team takes down Coastal and maybe they're vindicated, but just the methodology doesn't make any sense. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah, I have to agree with it. You know, you, you, you basically can take advantage of you know, giving Ohio State a, a matchup that isn't deserving of instead of a semifinal and giving them the semifinal matchup, you know. I would think uh, Ohio State and Oklahoma would have been a good game or, you know, throw a Cincinnati or Coastal. But, you know, man, it was just uh, set up perfect for to take advantage of that. And, uh, you know, it is what it is. Sure. And Cincinnati is the first group of five team that I thought was really, really worthy of the conversation. Those – first couple UCF teams they were fun and clicking on all cylinders like with a healthy McKenzie Milton their quarterback that suffered that gruesome injury they were pretty good but at the same time you're like yeah I still don't really buy this eye test wise Cincinnati this year's version of them was the first time where I kind of like was like okay I'll entertain this because you watch them on TV you can tell that speed is legit you can tell their quarterback's really good and they rush the passer they have kind of FBS I say FBS power five Type pass rushers up front. So this is the first team where I've been like, okay, I'll understand. Like I'll, I'll listen to this conversation. And uh, just like every other team, unfortunately, they got absolutely zero respect yeah, in that I sense. Mean, so I, I'll have I'll have to turn a couple pages back in the history books. If I, I don't think if Boise State pulls that miracle against uh, Oklahoma, that we you know we would never think that any of these Cincinnati's or Boise States or you know, uh, lower, you know, tier teams would have a chance with a, you know, SEC power or, you know, Big Ten or ACC power. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you, you definitely, you know, have to throw that into the mix, you know, who knows with that, uh, with that Cincinnati team or the Coastal Carolina, you know, just, uh, it's just, it's good to see and you want to see it because everybody enjoys an underdog and a Cinderella story that, you know, and plus everybody enjoys not seeing, Alabama, Ohio State, you know, every every year in Clemson. Yeah, I agree. And unfortunately, you talk about opportunity and that Boise. I, I agree that Boise State team was the first kind of like Cinderella group of five team. I don't even think they were called group of fives back then where you kind of thought, OK, these guys maybe can play some football. But unfortunately, I think what this year solidified, if anything, is that the group of five at the current structure of the college football playoff is never getting in. They're just not like if, if they weren't getting in this year, it's never happening until they expand to eight that, you know, the playoff conversation, probably a conversation for another day, but long story short, we're both all over Cincinnati here and their money line. Yeah, it's got some good value to it. And if you can, you know, uh, get comfortable with two other games, you know, throw a good solid parlay out and, you know, get um, paid extra on that. Uh, if that money, that two forty money line hits. Yeah, I'm going to lock the money line. I don't even want the points. I mean, I'm probably, obviously, if you're playing this game, I would advise doing both, clearly. But um, I'm locking the money line here. I don't even really want the points. 
And of course, you know, uh, uh, you know, Georgia just might wipe the floor with them and be like, "Why? What were we thinking?" But you know, just, uh, it, it feels good. I feel good about it, and I like it. And I think Cincinnati is actually is going to be a really good play uh, in this bowl series. Look, for as long as we've been doing this podcast and as confident as we've sounded on some of these locks, even sometimes locking it against each other, we're not afraid to sound like idiots. Like that doesn't really phase me at this point. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about somebody that's t- that took the Jets like 10 times before they, they won two games in a row, you know? Uh, you missed the Jets by a couple of weeks, dude. You, you should, I hope you're on in the last couple of weeks. I have been on them. And you know what's really awkward was uh, we were um, I was playing golf at Lake Caroline, and uh, before we teed off at 12, I was like, look, I'm going to put a parlay together. I'm not going to watch it, and I'm just going to, you know, see if it hits. And I kid you not, I did Cincinnati and Jets two-game parlay, money line, both of them. Like, nothing points. So, I literally, I mean, it only paid, it was 25 to win, like, 165. But, I mean, you know, uh, I will say, I put my feather in my hat, but I've only, I did do a two-game parlay that hit. So That's a juicy little payout there. That's a, yeah. that's nifty. I would actually would have guessed it would have paid out more, honestly. I would have, I, like, if you'd have made me guess without knowing, I'd have been like, ah, oh, 250? Yeah, I mean, they, uh, they, uh, they both uh, were plus 200-something. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, but that's probably about my best bet. Either that, I had one horse, uh, I had one um, exacta pet bet that literally it was a $10 bet and it paid $435. Whew, that is a, uh, that is pretty, quite the, pretty, uh, solid tick, pretty solid ticket. So, uh, but yeah, man, that's just how those horse races go. I mean, if you get a, bomb that went that finishes second and somebody that you pick is supposed to win that exact a one dollar exact really does pay off next one we got and obviously for your bang for your buck this is probably the best day of football of the holiday season you've got another slate of full games on the second that we're about to get to but you got a 12 o'clock kickoff between auburn and northwestern and the citrus bowl and i said two access bowl games so i lied citrus bowl and not an access bowl but you get my point before these two playoff games Northwestern is minus three against Auburn, and I maybe I'm overconfident in all these, but I'm using my third lock here. I think Northwestern is going to beat them and beat them badly. Northwestern, very well coached, very good defense that made Justin Fields and Ohio State really look just pretty bad for two and a half quarters. Ohio State's athleticism basically eventually took over the game in that Big Ten championship game. But Northwestern is well coached. Auburn's got a lot of dysfunction in their program right now. They've got the new coach. This is kind of a fragmented staff. I hate betting on teams in bowl games where like they're transitioning staffs and there's an interim guy and one guy's on the way out. I don't even know the, the math behind that in terms of their records in these games, but I just don't enjoy it. So I'm going Northwestern in another lock. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to lock it up with you because in all honestly, you know, if you've played for Auburn and you've been in that locker room and you've, you know, seen the ups and downs that they've had, you know, that locker room started out with a, uh, a last second win over Oregon last year. And, you know, now, uh, you know, they're almost kind of, uh, the you know, celebrating because they beat Mississippi state. So, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's just kind of a, what kind of reaction are you going to get when a new coach walks in and you have no clue how the guy is, you know? So, uh, yeah, with that being said, I just, I, I, I don't take a, a team that's, uh, you know, with a coach that's only been there. What has he been there? Two weeks? week and a half yeah and he's not coaching this game i think he'll be in oh attendance. he's not okay so it's just a patch through uh gus miles on uh staff that's doing it 
believe so. I believe it. The head coach, if I'm not mistaken, might be Kevin Steele, who the guy that basically just helped orchestrate a coup to try to get the head coaching job and get Gus out that backfired eventually. No, that's probably a whole podcast in of itself. I could be wrong about that. <laughs> Um, but I'm pretty sure Kevin Steele will be coaching this game. But anyway, well, yeah, I'm I mean, just, you know, not, not they, a fan. They might, they might, they might. Um, I don't know. You never know. Those players might really like St- uh, Coach Steele and might play hard for him. But you know, I just I, I like discipline, and Northwestern brings that discipline. And you know, they don't make stupid penalties. And uh, you know, uh, I, I see an easy two touchdown game. So that's why we're locking this up for sure. Now we're on to the playoffs, and this is going to be a doozy. The second one, last year's, I will I will contend this. I, I think this could follow a similar pattern to last year's playoff games, and it, what I mean by that is if you remember last year, LSU just boat raced Oklahoma in the afternoon game, and you're like, well, this is a bummer. I remember I was at a bar in Dallas or somewhere and was like, well, we got like four and a half hours before something like significant happens again because that game was over within 15 minutes of it kicking off. I think this could follow the same way because you've got the afternoon game of Alabama Notre Dame, then an Ohio State Clemson rematch, which if you remember that playoff game last year between Ohio State and Clemson was a fantastic football game. Um, oh, it was yeah. great. I mean, yeah, Ohio State's a terrible call away from winning that game. Um, didn't they have a like a catch that he made a athletic move and then it fumbled and the Ohio state picked it up and ran it in. And uh, I think they called it an incomplete pass. Yeah, you're well, exactly right. Sure. It, they felt like they got screwed. And of course that led to all kinds of complaining and all that. But that was one of those teams, those games where you're like, either, like you played this game 10 times, each team's probably winning five. And either one of those teams was deserving to go to the national title. That was just a classic Clemson kind of just escaped because they had the football last type of deal. Yeah, I'm in uh, to bring back that Oklahoma LSU game. I remember screenshotting a live bet that was, I think it was 30, I th- yeah, it was 34 and a half on a live bet on Oklahoma. And I was like, do you think this is real? And literally, and I think, didn't LSU cover that? They did. They did. Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, that was you won that game like 40 something to seven, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I mean, I, it was something I remember literally screenshot. It was like a lot. It was like Oklahoma plus 34. And I was like, man, I was like, this is unbelievable. Yeah. And this is uh, so the first one we got here and this is kind of the the. 2020 version of that game unfortunately yeah. alabama's minus 20 just take alabama you know i was about to say alabama's minus 20 in this game and i just i just don't see it with notre dame they're good good ish like they beat clemson with the backup quarterback in the first game gets boat race in the second game i i think man if they get killed in this game i think this may be it for them in terms of playoff respect i think notre dame obviously if they go undefeated they will get in the playoff every year but a one-loss Notre Dame's never getting the benefit of the doubt again if they oh, throw man. an egg up here. So, well, and I, mean, I don't buy know, it. I'm going Alabama. Yeah, I mean the tide's definitely going to roll. I just, you know, I, I just think the, you know, the marketing team's trying to cash in on, you know, one last stab for, you know, Notre Dame and hope that, that they show up. But I mean, this Alabama team's just too good, and you know, I honestly can see, you know, twenty-eight-seven at halftime. You know, and. uh Maybe Notre Dame might get a garbage touchdown, but I just don't see it happening. Just Alabama's just too good. And uh, like I said, this might be the last uh, fork, uh, you know, to be able to stick a fork in on uh, on Notre Dame until they get conference ties to where, you know, they can go undefeated in a conference play to get back in. 
Yeah, I, I just, I mean, I think Vegas is reflecting this, and it's been hard to keep up with college football on a national landscape because all these conferences have been you having different scheduling things and so many different moving parts. But it seems like Alabama's a hell of a lot better than everyone else this year, and there's enough talent on Clemson and Ohio State that they could give them a game in this national title game if they play, if either one of those teams whichever one makes it out plays pretty well. But this year feels like Clemson from two years ago where it's kind of just Clemson in the field and kind of who can compete with them. So I I think Alabama rolls here pretty big. Uh, So we're both on them. The second one, which I think is going to be an awesome game, Clemson's a touchdown favorite over Ohio State. I haven't seen – you know, Ohio State only playing the six games or whatever it was, five, and then the Big Ten championship game. I don't really know what the best version of them is yet. I know Fields is really good when he's right. I know that defense is stupid athletic. I, I think I'm I, I don't know where to go in this one, but I'm gonna take the points here. I think these two teams are within a touchdown of each other. So I'm gonna go Ohio State plus seven. Yeah, I mean I have to kinda agree with agree with you on this. You know, if you uh are wanting some um action and uh you know have a good shot on a on a payout, I think you should, you know, do a three game parlay with Ohio State money line, uh, Cincinnati money line, and you know maybe uh, Northwestern money line. Uh, You're on to you something know. there, dude. Um, I mean, you know, and just you know roll the dice, uh, put you know twenty five on it, fifty on it, and just uh, enjoy the action. I, I mean, I just think that that's a you know a pretty decent uh, payout on uh, you know a pretty decent return on two decent teams. So um, you know I, that's just my two cents on it. But yeah, uh, I think a, just a small play on the money line would be good and. I just think it's a field goal game, uh, you know, uh, with Northwestern uh, playing the way they played uh, against Ohio State. You know, uh, uh, you know, it's almost like you don't want to poke the bear, and uh, Ohio State end up kicking it in gear and uh, you know running away with that game. But uh, I think they're going to be highly competitive, you know, right out the get. So I think this is going to be one of the better games. But I, you know, in long in the long run, I'll take the seven. But I think a small play on the money line would be a you know a good a decent uh, payout. And take this note for what it's worth. And this is really kind of semantics because I'm sure it's different on other sites. But the site I'm looking at has Ohio State money line at plus twenty five and Cincinnati's at plus two twenty. And that's probably in the gray area where it's probably just a amount of money on what either side type of thing. But mathematically they're giving Cincinnati a better shot to beat Georgia than Ohio state is to beat Clemson, which I find interesting. I love Cincinnati in that game and I wouldn't be shocked if Ohio state won this thing. So, uh, I, I kind of like Ohio state in the plus seven here and that money line could be juicy. Yeah, it could be juicy. And you know, and that's why you make the bet and, you know, to sit there and get, get your juices going and, uh, and whenever it hits, uh, you know, you, you look like smell, you look like a, you know, a rose. So we'll see what the uh, what the uh, national championship looks like after this one and who will we be betting on in that one. We'll roll through these January 2nd games real quick before we head to the NFL. First one we got day after the playoff, kind of like the, uh, the uh, come down from what are hopefully two great games. I think one of them will be a good one like we just mentioned. But the come down starts with Kentucky and NC State. NC State is plus two and a half in the Gator Bowl against Kentucky I don't really know here. I, I don't know anything about either one of these teams. I saw NC State blow a cover against Georgia Tech, if I'm not mistaken, a while back. So I am going to go SEC here. I know nothing about this game. Kentucky yeah. minus two and a half because they're blue. That's my yeah. logic. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll go with you on the SEC. I mean, you know, um, 
Uh, I know Dave Dorn's still at NC State, and, you know, um, I, you know, decent program, but, you know, terrible losses this year. And, uh, you know, uh, let's go with the uh, SEC team. Ole Miss is up next. They played 1130 in the morning, kicks off 30 minutes later, the Outback Bowl. Um, I obviously you've at this point, you've already listened to the preview that I had with John Blau. And I think if you heard me talking in that preview, we discussed a number of different topics. I don't really see this for Ole Miss. Indiana's really good. Indiana should have been in a New Year's Six game. They kind of got jobbed out of one. Even with that backup quarterback, Jack Tuttle, I think they're good. Their defense picks people off, and they sack the opposing quarterbacks. That's not a good combination for an Ole Miss team that did not do a great job of getting separation in their only game with life after Elijah Moore and Kenny Yaboa, which I've written about extensively is kind of a concerning storyline going in to next uh, fall, they're going to need to kind of find some playmakers at receiver, but uh, be that as it may, this line opened up at six and a half and has already gone to eight because people are hammering Indiana. That changes my thinking a little, but I honestly, I, I was ready to lock them at six and a half. I still like the Hoosiers at minus eight, to be honest. Ole Miss has had a good year, but I just don't see this matchup at all. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, I just, uh, you know, I, I, I was on Indiana against Michigan, and, you know, I thought they kind of, um, you know, won that game just because, you know, Michigan just is a, you know, disaster. But, you know, you have to give credit to Tom Allen and that staff. And, uh, man, they, they, they're they uh, they're a feel-good story. And I just, you know, I just think that it's just going to be some bad news for the Rebs. And, uh, uh, you know, you'll see a good Indiana team. It's well-coached, and, uh, you know, they, they're – the, they ball bought in on what they're trying to build in. And uh, that's what kind of Lane Kiffin's trying to build here in Oxford, you know, where you buy in, you, you know, you completely buy in on it. But you can definitely tell uh, whenever you watch Indiana play that, you know, these kids play hard. And, you know, I don't know if you saw the interview after the uh, Wisconsin game, you know, all the players are, you know, patting the coach and everything like that. I mean, you know, that's that's stuff that you root for. So, you know, uh, I just think Indiana are just going to roll on this for sure. I like it a lot. There's always these preconceived notions that, like, when you get into a bowl game, for the most part, both teams are created. Like, both teams are fairly equal, which is just not the case here. Indiana is really good in a borderline New Year's Six team. And Ole Miss overachieved, had a great year. It's just not. And this is just kind of one of those matchups that I don't think – I just don't see it for Ole Miss. Like I mentioned, the turnovers with the with the defense and crowd coming off of, you know, the sixth turnover game. Like I said, I just don't see it. So we're both on Indiana there. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. I hope Ole Miss plays well. I hope they pull out the win. Their money line's plus 255 if you're interested on that side of things and just, like, hate betting in on my account. I don't know. I just don't see it. So both on Indiana there. And then the last two games of the day, the next one's the Fiesta Bowl really mundane fiesta bowl. You've got Oregon who won the PAC 12 championship after Washington was unable to play USC in it because of COVID as a plus four underdog against Iowa state. I don't really have a good feel for this game. I think Iowa state's pretty good. So I'm going to go with the Cyclones here just because I haven't, to be honest, I haven't watched very much Oregon. They looked good in that PAC 12 championship game. They have a lot of speed and a lot of prep playmakers particularly on that interior defensive line but i don't know much about them so i'm going with the cyclones i've seen more of them i like brock purdy give me the quarterback here yeah i have to agree uh man i just have to agree with you is actually i don't know if it's good or bad that we're agreeing on this but uh on everything it seems like but uh yeah i, I like um i like iowa state a lot you know they uh 
they got in an early hole against Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game and, uh, you know, dug themselves out and, uh, you know, had a chance to win the game. So, uh, good program uh, up on the up and great quarterback. And, uh, again, you know, I, I think they're going to be, pretty, you know, there next year whenever everything gets back to normal. So, uh, I have to agree with you. I like Iowa State a lot here. Then the last one's kind of going to be a fun one on the, uh, you know, as you kind of nurse your hangover from the new year. Uh, you've got Texas A&M minus seven against North Carolina in the Orange Bowl. You know, this is an interesting one because this is really one. I think Texas A&M will be pretty much at full strength. Mon, the last game of his career, I think. I guess he could come back next year. I don't know if they'll even have him back. I don't know what that what that's going to look like. I thought A&M deserved a playoff shot over Ohio State. I don't know if A&M's better than Ohio State. I don't think they are, but, I mean, they went through a 10-game SEC schedule with one loss. And as Jimbo kind of somewhat eloquently pointed out, they played Alabama in the second game of the year when Alabama had Jerry Judy. No one else really had to do that. Like, you know, it, it, that, that's a tough matchup, and I think that game would go differently in terms of margin if they had played towards the end of the year. So I think A&M's pretty good. The question in my mind in this game, is this A&M going to be, hey, we're pissed off that we got jobbed out of the college football playoff and basically go TCU on Ole Miss to North Carolina if you get the 2014 reference, or are they just going to be pissed off that they're there and North Carolina kind of has a program-defining uh, win under Mac Brown, who, which I think many people thought was kind of a, a lazy joke hire when he got hired, and then him and the fighting Phil Longos are pretty good. So this I don't have a ton of feel for this game. I'll go Texas A&M here because I think they have a ton of talent. I think they're going to care, and I think they're really good. So give me the Aggies minus seven, but I see the other side of this one too. I'm, I'm not confident in this. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I mean, uh, if, if you just want to, you know, really make money on this game, just take the over, I think. I just think uh, a lot of points are going to be scored. Uh, I, I, mean, I, I, I mean, I don't think the Texas A&M defense is, you know, bad, but, you know, I think that they'll at least give up. 21, you know, to 24 uh, for it, but I think it's going to be a really good game. Uh, I, you know, I just, uh, I think Texas A&M's just, uh, like I said, it's just hard to put Texas A&M in that playoff if you're going to make them a rematch with Alabama, maybe move uh, right. uh, Clemson over to the four spot and then do, you know, um, Ohio State and Texas A&M. So, again, you know, that's why they had the opportunity to, you know, do this uh, extra game, extra playoff, just because of the quirky year. So, it's a bummer. Uh, I wouldn't like to seen um, Texas A&M play a Clemson or play in Ohio State and just see how they are because everybody's just so used to just watching Alabama be able to play Clemson, you know, or in the playoffs. So, it is a, a bummer for Texas A&M. I think, you know, they're a good club and uh, they were primed for it. So uh, just a weird year. And, you know, with that being said, but I like Texas A&M to roll here. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I see both sides of that. And like I mentioned, that'll be an interesting matchup because I don't really know uh, how that one will play out at all. I don't feel confident on either one. So just to recap, before we jump to the National Football League real quick, uh, you locked, we both locked Tulsa, we both locked Cincinnati, and we both locked Northwestern. So we used three locks there, and they were all the same, and we locked Cincinnati. I locked Cincinnati Moneyline. You like Cincinnati Moneyline a ton. So those are our three locks. Both went Alabama, both went Ohio State, differed a couple in between. But that is what the final, I guess the, the, the semifinal of our college football plays this year because we will pick the national title game on next week's show. But now we're headed to the NFL, which – is kind of one of the weirder weeks. Like week 17, the NFL is always strange. 
there's so many games because there's no Thursday, there's no Saturday games. Like they want everyone to have the same advantage. The only difference is, is there's a Sunday night football game. And, and so you've got a million different games. It's going to be hard to keep up with who's benching guys. Who's not. It's going to be a wild one. So buckle up and let's get rolling on this. One of the 11 billion 12 o'clock games we have, although there are a ton of late games on this slate as well. We'll start out with, hmm, where do we want to start here? Bucks Falcons, Tampa Bay's minus six and a half against the uh, Atlanta Falcons heading into the, uh, the week 17. So you've got all kinds of playoff scenarios that are hard to keep up with. This is the trickiest week in the NFL to bet. Uh, but the Bucks are minus six and a half. They've secured a playoff spot, if I'm not mistaken. Can't really win the division. They kind of are what they are. But I think they're going to play everyone, and I think they're going to try, quote unquote, because they need to start playing well, and they've been really inconsistent all year. I'm going to go Bucks here. They have much too much talent for the uh, for the Atlanta Falcons, and I just I don't enjoy betting the Falcons. Let's be honest. So I'm going Bucks. Yeah, I'm just going to keep on agreeing with you on this one. Uh, this just seems like an easy win for the Bucks, and uh, you know, uh, maybe Matt Ryan might not be in Atlanta next year. Who knows? He could be out in San Francisco with his old buddy Kyle Shanahan, and I will have the hot take that I think that makes the the 49ers ultimate Super Bowl contenders next year. How they went to the Super Bowl when they were fully healthy last year. You upgrade a quarterback from Jimmy Garoppolo to Matt Ryan, and watch the hell out. Mike, look at Kyle Shanahan with an average quarterback. Now you got him with a good one. I was trying to pull up the playoff scenarios. It was just kind of rambling a bit. Um, let's make sure I have that right. Yeah, Tampa Bay's in. They can't really improve or decline their position. I guess they could fall. Yeah, if they lose and the Rams win, they could fall to the sixth seed, but that doesn't really matter, um, particularly in this day and age. If they win, though, they get the Washington football team, and if they lose and the Rams win, I believe they would get Seattle instead. Yes, that would be Seattle. So anyway... That's what that's looking like. So we're both on the Bucks. there. The next 12 o'clock game we have is Buffalo minus two against the Dolphins. Dolphins win and they're in the playoffs. They lose and things get hairy. Um, they had a really impressive season saving win um, on Saturday, last Saturday night against the Las Vegas Raiders because the Dolphins are pretty much trying to fend off the Miami Dolphins excuse me, fend off the Baltimore Ravens. And they only had, despite having the fifth playoff slot, like the second wild card out of the three this year, they uh, only had a 33% chance exiting week 15 to make the playoffs because they had the Bills and the Raiders on the road left on their schedule. So Miami really needs this. Buffalo can't really do anything unless I'm missing something here. No, Buffalo could lose, slip from the two to the three seed, but that doesn't really matter this year because there's only one bye. I'm going Miami here. They need this worse. I think Buffalo is a Super Bowl sleeper. I think they're the only team in the AFC that can score and keep up with the Chiefs. But I think Miami needs this here. And so I'm going with the Dolphins. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, again, uh, the Dolphins have been kind of a you know a Cinderella season this year. And uh, they're playing some good ball. I mean, I don't know if you saw how that Dolphins win came about. But uh, – you know, it just uh, seems almost destined to be after that. Did you see th how, how that went down? Yeah, that was unbelievable, the face mask. Uh, well, what's crazy is whenever Gruden has it first and goal on the one and kneels it, you know, back I know. Back, you know, and you're just like, I don't know. I mean, you know, and what's funny is the, you know, Oakland Raiders, their big, their big saying was, you know, you, uh, you know, when you play to win the game, you know, or something like that. So, 
Uh, man, that was brutal. But, yeah, I think the Dolphins have a little bit more to play for. I mean, you know, nothing against uh, Buffalo, good football team. And uh, you're right, they are uh, Super Bowl sleepers uh, uh, to get in there and actually are playing really good football. So um, not going to take anything away from Buffalo, but I just feel like, you know, Miami's uh, kind of maybe destined to be to get in that playoff spot. Buffalo's three losses here. I keep pointing this out to people. Buffalo's 12 and three and their three losses this year are to the chiefs in the rain, the Titans in that weird Tuesday night game where the Titans actually got like the benefit from being a terrible COVID team where the buff Buffalo bills had like just a crappy schedule and had to play the Tuesday game. And then they lost to the Cardinals on a hail Mary. Like this team is sick and they're playing as good, probably as good as anyone in the NFL. They may be playing the best football, I just kind of have the theory the team that needs to get into the playoffs has more to prove in week 17. You know, if Stefan Diggs tweaks an ankle or something and probably could go back in if it were a playoff game, they're probably keeping him on the sidelines. And so weird stuff like that happens. So I'll just take the Dolphins plus two in the points because they need it more. But I am not off Buffalo by any stretch. I think the Dolphins, I, mean, I think Buffalo is really, really good. Yeah. Totally agree with you. I mean, you know, Buffalo is a good sleeper pick for the Super Bowl this year, for sure. This is an e next one's an easy one for me. Ravens are minus 11 and a half at the Cincinnati Bengals. Ravens got to win uh, to stay in the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, win and they're in. And <laughs> poor Cleveland. Cleveland loses to the Jets last week, and they're having to win. Uh, they have to win to get in the playoffs this week against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Cleveland is just absolutely cursed. We'll get to them in a second. Baltimore wins and they're in. I think they beat bad teams. We've talked about this a hundred times on this podcast. They beat bad teams and they beat them really bad. Ravens minus 12 on the road. I'll lay the points. I don't mind it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this just has blowout written all over it for sure. So uh, let's uh, let's just keep agreeing with each other on this. <laughs> Cleveland, my God, dude, two weeks ago, we were talking about them perhaps being you know, like sleeper the, super. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, six uh, best like, teams like in the, the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Now they, so then they have <laughs> all those receivers catch COVID. They lose to the freaking jets. Even without those receivers, Mayfield plays horrible. And now they're in a, unfortunately for them, <laughs> they're in a win or, or, or go home scenario. The Cleveland Browns, after being 10 and three, two weeks ago, are now having to to win to win against the Pittsburgh Steelers at home in Cleveland to get to the or excuse me they were ten and four excuse me they're ten and four and now they're having to win to get into the playoffs they are minus ten against the Steelers so the Steelers cannot improve their position and they're assuming Ben, ben Roethlisberger doesn't play I, I can't do Cleveland minus ten I don't really care who plays for the Steelers. The Cleveland might Cleveland this, and they might come out with a win, but Cleveland minus 10 is way too many points here. So I think for the sake of Cleveland fans and their psyche, I'll go. I think they win the game, but I'll go Steelers plus 10. Don't really trust the Browns in this spot. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you again. I mean, this is just it's getting awkward, you know, but I just, you just can't trust the Cleveland team, you know double-digit favors regardless of who the quarterback is for Pittsburgh and, you know, how bad Pittsburgh's played in the last two weeks. But, um, you know, I just think you, you'll end up uh, finding out Cleveland's going to Cleveland for sure. If you're a Cleveland Browns fan, who's the backup for the for the Steelers? Is it still Mason Rudolph? Uh, uh, no, Duck Hodges. So if, if, if Duck Hodges or Mason Rudolph, whoever the hell plays between those two, goes into Cleveland and beats the Browns, 
with a team of backups around him to keep the Browns out of the playoffs. If you're a Browns fan, do you just jump off a bridge? What else do you have going for you at that point? What, what do you, what do you, like, how do you come back from that? What do you do? Yeah. I mean, you know, you got the Cavaliers. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's brutal, man. Uh, I, I guess it's just, it's, it's tough to be a Cleveland Browns fan. And I guess the only, uh, I mean, you know, they literally brought the Browns back. So I guess they brought them back for a reason. If Ole Miss fans think that their fan base is cursed and like, if you ever had a, like, if you ever, I'm trying to think of a game in recent years where you just have a bad feeling going in if you're an Ole Miss fan. Maybe it was the LSU game in 03. Maybe you were cautiously optimistic. I don't know. But there's no way any Browns fan is going to enjoy this, right? Yeah, I mean, if no. you win, you did what you're supposed to do. If you lose, holy cow, suicide watch. Well, I mean, you know, and then you got to look forward to, you know, zero degree temperatures and, you know, a, a brisk north wind coming off the, uh, the water. So, yeah, um, you know, tough sledding for Cleveland fans. That's all I have to say. Uh, but mad props for, uh, for supporting your, your team. But, um, you know, like you were saying, uh, to win against, a, you know, double dig- as a double-digit favorite, uh, you know, I, man, I don't know. I just like the Steelers and, the, and Doug Hodges. Same. I'm going plus 10. Like this, this screams Cleveland ekes this out on a last second field goal or something. Not going to spend too much time on this next one. This game doesn't matter. Both of these teams have been miserable to bet on this year. The Vikings are minus seven on the road against the Lions. The Lions are an abomination. Stafford's injured. I don't think he's going to play. I'll go Vikings here, but if you're wagering on this one on week 17 in the NFL, uh, maybe turn the TV off and, 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 and dial that number. My friend, this is, this is one of many get help games this week. I, 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 I there's no way red zone shows 10 plays of this game. There's just no way. So Minnesota, just cause we bet them all, I guess. I mean, whatever, if you're actually playing this game, you're a psycho. Yeah. Well, I mean, I try not to be a psycho, but, uh, I have to, <laughs> you know, I have to, uh, uh, Minnesota's brutal, man. I mean, God. Um, anyway, I, I, I don't, uh, um, yeah, look, I, I'll take Minnesota. I mean, this just seems like, uh, they'll win something like this. Same type of deal on this next one. Pat's jets, nothing going on here. The rejuvenated jets have now screwed themselves out of Trevor Lawrence. And you think about it in the sense that, well, have they really screwed themselves? Cause the guys that controlled their fate, like Sam Darnold doesn't really want to lose his job. They're now on the verge of, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to look at other bad teams in the National Football League this year. No, they're pretty much they, so they 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 still probably lock up the number two pick, but uh, they they screwed themselves out of Trevor Lawrence. The Jags now clinch the number one overall pick in just absolutely preposterous fashion. The Jets beat two playoff teams on the road. No, excuse me, the the Cleveland game was at home. Beat two playoff teams in a row. After it was pretty much tailor-made, they were going 0-16. They're plus three against the Patriots. The Patriots, there's no way they're trying. Do you think Belichick, by any stretch, tries to uh, tank this? I guess they can't. Like, If there was a way for them to get uh, screwed out of Justin Fields, too, I wouldn't put it past Belichick to tank this game. But uh, I'll go Jets. Why not, dude? Let's end the year how we started, betting on the Jets. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, you like I said, the, uh, the Jets are a hotter team, and uh, – you know, uh, I know New England might have a couple uh, draft picks, so they can probably work, you know, something to work out to make sure they can at least lock up uh, Justin Fields, if not, you know, try to go after that one, uh, one uh, Trevor Lawrence. But uh, yeah, man, I can see Belichick. You know, man, I, I can see Belichick throwing his phone like he did last uh, on Monday night. So uh, I actually, you know, like you were saying, we bet on the we started with the Jets, we might as well finish with the Jets. 
it's only poetic. We can't bet on the Jets again for another nine months if we don't do it today. So, I mean, when you have the opportunity, you have to, according to us. So, Jets all the way, baby. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't even know what to, uh, they're saying is. Yeah, th- uh, throw, uh, throw it in on the money line, uh, Parlay. <laughs> so, have my money, Vegas. This last 12 o'clock game is a fascinating one, and I think it's probably really the only appropriate way to end what a disaster of a season this has been for the NFC East. So here's what you got. The Cowboys have sneakily won, what, two in a row, three in a row? I can't remember. But they're now six and nine. They're winners of three games in a row. They've beaten the Bengals, the Niners, and the Eagles. And they're now in a position, they're playing the New York Giants in New York in the 12 o'clock kickoff. But what's going to be weird here is they played this game, and the winner of this game wins the NFC East if the Redskins lose. And the Redskins have this weird situation going on where they cut Dwayne Haskins this week. That's a whole other weird deal in its own right. And they have an injured Alex Smith who can't get over this calf injury. I think he's going to play. And then I don't really know what happened to Kyle Allen, their other quarterback, uh, who just seemed to disappear off the face of the earth. I don't, is he injured? What has happened to him? Do you know what's up with Kyle Allen? No, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, uh, that has Did he get kidnapped? Like, what's the deal? Uh, there, <laughs> maybe he got COVID and he died. I mean, you know, I hate to say that on, on air. That, that was pretty bad for me to say that. But, uh, man, I, you know, the, <laughs> that Washington quarterback, I mean, you bringing back Alex Smith, a guy that literally broke his leg to, you know, to bring that, um, and he did. He, I mean, if Alex Smith stays healthy, I think uh, the Washington Redskins are a decent, uh, decent playoff team and could make a decent run. You know, with the uh, uh, who's the defensive end? They uh, Chase Young, isn't it? That Chase Young. Yeah, he's been awesome out of Ohio I mean, State. Absolute monster, and uh, you know, it just uh, you know, I think it'd have been a different season. But yeah, who knows where uh, uh, Carolina is? So maybe in Arkansas, duck hunting. Yeah, I don't really, uh, I don't really understand this one. The news is saying, uh, for a quick Google search, is saying that uh, that uh, excuse me, Alex Smith, I can't talk today. Will probably start this game, so it sounds like he's on back on track to play. But to finish off the point I was making, that game Sunday night football. So it's Eagles who have nothing to play for, and the Redskins on Sunday night football. So whoever wins this Giants Cowboys game, I imagine will gather as a team on Sunday night football to watch Sunday night football to see if their season is continuing, which is just going to be a very weird but perfectly poetic way to end the season for the NFC East. So all that being said, you have Giants minus three. No, excuse me, Dallas minus three. I like the football Giants here. I I think they give themselves a chance. Dallas is playing better. Dalton's been pretty good. But uh, I actually like the New York football Giants plus three here. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's just like you said, uh, just a, uh, sums up this year and uh, how terrible this situation is. And uh, let's just hope those uh, uh, that that team meeting involves alcohol if they're going to watch this uh, uh, this Cowboys and Giants game. Yeah, can you imagine after everything that everyone dumping on the Cowboys all year that they get into the playoffs and host a playoff game? That would just be <laughs> wild. Yeah, that would be the most 2020 thing uh, ever. That's for sure. And if you needed any other way to make this game and this end to the season for the NFC East even weirder, this game is supposed to be 40 degrees and pouring rain. So (laughs) that's going to be nuts. I'm actually looking forward to that one. That's a huge game, though, in a weird way. So you've got that one. Are you on Dallas or New York here? 
I, I'm gonna go with you. Oh, I mean, man, I keep on agreeing with you, and I think that's just bad for uh, for ratings. But uh, I'm gonna keep on agreeing with you, man. I, I I think the Giants are playing a little bit better ball, and uh, I, I just. <laughs> Uh, I just want to see that uh, meme that comes out on how many years the uh, Cowboys hadn't won a Super Bowl uh, to add another year to. So we are now together on the Giants. Yep, together on the Giants. And Should so I we're together on the Giants right there. And so that was the last 12 o'clock game. And then we've got a really fascinating slate of late games. You've got Bears Packers. We'll start with this one, the first one in the late slate. It's in Soldier Field in Chicago. This is a fascinating game because the Packers need to win this game to lock up the one seed. And if you'll remember this year, the one seed is huge, even though obviously no fans in the stands, whatever. But you only get one bye. And so the Packers will not have to play next week if they win this game. They're minus five and a half here against the Bears. The Bears have to win to get in the playoffs. So the Bears have to beat. Oh, I say that the Bears either have to win or the Cardinals have have to lose so the bears the way to lock up their playoff spot is to win against the packers this week and then i'm trying to get these these scenarios right in real time and the cardinals need to win and need the bears to lose um i'm going with the better team here i think it would be as much as i think it would be absolutely hilarious for the bears to go to the playoffs with Mitch Trubisky after all that circus with Foles and starting five and oh, and then losing six in a row or whatever it was that they did this year to get in at nine and seven. And then Mitch Trubisky start another playoff game for them after they talked for half the year, what they were going to do at quarterback as funny as I think that would be. And they could still get in if the Cardinals lose. Like I mentioned, I, I, I trust the Packers here. The, like we've been mentioned all year. They're really good. They beat the hell out of my Titans on Sunday night football they need this game. They want the buy. I think they beat them by a touchdown or two. So I'm going Packers. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I hate to not agree with you, but I mean, you know, it's, it's just some something fishy about those Bears. This that Bear team, you know, it's just and that's typical Bears. But I just think the uh, the Mitch train, you know, finally shuts down this year and uh, you know looks for a new home. So I just think Green Bay is playing good ball right now and. Uh, they're probably one of the, uh, I would say they're the favorite to win the NFC. And uh, I just don't see why they don't uh, keep the, you know, the foot on the gas here and just, you know, and keep producing. Uh, yeah, I'm locking this one. I think uh, the Packers need this game. Good, The Packers beat mediocre to bad teams really bad. I trust the Packers. I think they're a Super Bowl sleep, not sleeper, Super Bowl contender. How about they're about to be the one seed? I'm locking this one. I like the Packers here. The what? Oh, other afternoon game. This one doesn't matter at all. Won't spend a ton of time on it. Las Vegas, who has really just choked away their season. You remember Las Vegas was seven and three, and they had that game on Monday Night Football, or maybe they were six and three, where they almost beat the Chiefs for the second time. Derek Carr played out of his mind. He was amazing. And even though they lost the game, we all talked about, wow, the Raiders have really built something here. Well, now they're seven and eight, and they're out of the playoffs. And you're wondering. Like, is Gruden just kind of a fraud? They really just kind of pissed away their season. They had home games against the Colts and the Dolphins that would have really solidified their playoff. They, they would have made the playoffs if they'd have won both games, and they lost both of them at home in their own building. Just really bad way to end the season and a confusing franchise to figure out. Say all that to say they're minus two and a half on the road against the Broncos. This is Broncos central. Broncos love to win games that don't matter at all. So I'm all over the Broncos here at plus 2.5 to cap out the season because this game doesn't matter at all. And Denver will win this. I promise. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, 
I'll try. I'll try to agree with you, but I, I will. I'll disagree. But and man, it's just uh, Las Vegas is that was in the catbird seat, man. And that uh, you know they just left, um, just gave uh, Mahomes too much time, you know, to uh, to win that Monday night game, and it just seemed like the the tides turned whenever that went down. But uh, you know they lost a, a good Indianapolis team and a you know and an upstart Miami team, so they're not bad losses, I would say. You know, you would probably be, you know, really worried if they lost to say, like maybe the Cincinnati or the Jets. It just goes to show you how bad that Cleveland situation is. But uh, you know, I, I still think Las Vegas is a good team. It's just you know, run a bad luck, and uh, you know, John Gruden. I'm just, uh, it's just you got to punch that touchdown in. You know, you have to uh, make the, you know, the team, you know, score a touchdown to beat you, and not a field goal to beat you, and. Uh, just bad clock management, and, uh, you know, it is what it is. But, yeah, I, I mean, I'm going I'm to go with Las Vegas here. I like Las Vegas. Perfect 8-8 eight and eight season for John Gruden if they win. So you might yeah. be on to something there. We'll get the last one that doesn't matter out of the way before we get to the really interesting ones. You've got – here's this is the lines you only get in Week 17. These always crack me up. Chargers Chiefs. The Chargers on the road are favored in Kansas City by three and a half points because the Chiefs are going to play – Absolutely nobody in this game. They may play their entire practice squad. Um, I'm still going to go at the Chiefs. If I can get the Chiefs at plus 3.5, even if Andy Reid put on a helmet and ran out there, I'd probably take the Chiefs. So whatever, Herbert's fine. This is probably stupid. Again, this is your second get help game of the week, but uh, whatever, Chiefs plus 3.5. I have no idea. But this game yeah. does not matter. I mean, it's just crazy. Why would anybody want to bet? Uh, you know, I, I just... I don't know who uh, who's the backup for Kansas City. Oh, that's isn't it Chase Daniel? Hasn't Chase Daniel? You know, he's made a gajillion dollars as a backup this no, year. No, I think, I think Chase, they signed him as a backup. No, man. Chad Henney. Excuse me, Chad Henney. He's somehow Chad still around. Wow! Holy cow! Um, yeah, uh, it's just hard to bet on the Chargers here. I mean, just regardless who's quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs. So. Uh, I'll get suckered in on this thing and uh, be embarrassed about it. I have no shame. I'm going to go with Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, whatever, dude. <laughs> if, if Red Zone shows this one with all this other stuff going on in the afternoon games, the John is going to be pissed off. Yeah, I would think the under white be would get a would be a good play on that. It's over under 44. I think you're on to something there. The last one. This is a juicy one. I'm looking forward to this. Cardinals Rams. I don't understand this line. I know Cooper Cup just got put on injured reserve. But the Rams, who have really, after looking really good in that Monday night football win about a month ago over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, have really fallen off. And golf looked really bad two weeks in a row. The Rams have, let me make sure I have all these scenarios correctly. The Rams have clinched, a, no, the Rams have not clinched a playoff spot. They could actually get squeezed out if things break the right way. And I actually think they need to beat Arizona, and that's part of their tiebreaker. So if the Rams, I believe they end up with a three-way tie, if the Rams, the Bears, and the Cardinals are all nine and seven, I believe it's the Rams that get uh, screwed out of that last spot. So it's two for three spots. Now, if the, I don't know what happens if the Rams win this. Uh, if the Rams win this and the, Car or, hell, I don't know. This is confusing me in real time. The Rams need to win this game. They have not clinched a playoff spot. I believe if they lose this game, they're out of the playoffs unless Chicago loses. So if they lose, they're going to need help. Whereas if they win, they're in. And Arizona is minus three 
in LA for this game. I'm going to go the Rams here. Um, Cardinals are not very well coached. The Rams are very well coached. Cardinals don't get pressure on quarterbacks. They lost Chandler Jones. They don't really pressure the quarterback very much. That's really what gives Goff problems, which you saw a resurgent Seattle defense due to him uh, last Sunday. So I'm going to go the Rams here because the Rams need this game. I say the Rams need this game. Cardinals got to win this game to get in the playoffs too. This is going to be an awesome one, but I'm going Rams plus three. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be a good game for sure. Uh, you can't, I mean, you can't complain about uh, this game at all, and uh, you can go either way. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I watched the uh, Seattle game, and you know, they got after golf. And who is actually starting for uh, the Rams this week? What'd you say? No, uh, golf's not uh, starting this week. Uh, he, is he hurt? He, yeah, he uh, hit his hand on somebody's helmet. So I think they uh, they they signed like Blake Borders to the uh, to the to the practice squad this week. Who was the Rams' backup last year? Some random guy I've never even heard of him. So oh, the Rams. That's right. So that's that's get this line makes way more sense now. I just totally missed that. I watched that game uh, after playing golf on Sunday, and I uh, I golf and golf golf. On Sunday, I did not. I did not. Cup tested positive for COVID nineteen. Golf has a broken thumb. So who is playing for them in this game? Oh, John Wolford. You ever heard of him? He's never taken a snap in an NFL game. Wow. Okay, Ooh. I'm reversing and, my and pick. He's in, Arizona. He's excuse a, me. And he's a, in a must win game as his first game. Yeah, I'm going Arizona. You just convinced me. I didn't do my homework there. Well, I wasn't trying to, you know, get you to change your bet, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I like Arizona regardless of uh, how terrible Cliff Kingsbury uh, is as a coach. So um, you but, just kind of led me into my what was going to be my other point. So like golf was playing, I know they were out Cooper Cuff. I know they could potentially be without Cam Akers. What I was getting at was you saw. So I made a bunch of money on the Niners this past weekend because. The Niners aren't very good. They have a backup quarterback, but Kyle Shanahan coaches circles around most people, and he would definitely coach circles around Cliff Kingsbury, and that's exactly what happened. The Niners won the game outright, and there's no reason they should have won that game other than Kyle Shanahan is awesome and Cliff Kingsbury not awesome, and now they're playing for their playoff lives because of it. The Cardinals would be in the playoffs if they had just beaten a Niners team in their own building where the Niners can't even go home to Santa Clara, they have to play the Cardinals at the Cardinals just because of the COVID restrictions there. And they lose that game. So that was, that was my original theory. But if, if something called John Walford is going to be playing quarterback for the Rams, I'm going Arizona. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, like you were saying, I mean, Cliff Kingsbury is awful. And, uh, I don't know how he got that job, but, uh, with that being said, yeah, I, 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 I like uh, I like Arizona, but you know, you just it's kind of awkward to, to bet on that, to pull the trigger on a bad coach like that. Four more to plow through real quick. You've got the uh, Niners hosting the Seahawks. Seattle is minus six. Seattle has clinched a playoff spot. They could get the two seed if the Saints lose the Panthers, but the two and three seed, other than playing at home for another week potentially, doesn't really matter. Uh, but I'm still going Seahawks here. I mean, they're playing well. One of the slept on storylines of this season is we've talked about how terrible the Seahawks defense has been. Well, they've added Carlos Dunlap. They've gotten healthier and they've actually turned into a pretty good defense. So no one's talking about Seattle in the NFC playoffs because of how their defense looked for 13 weeks. But watch out. They have a decent defense and they have some guy named Russell Wilson playing quarterback for them. 
that's a team that could make a Super Bowl run where everyone's like, how did that happen? Well, it's because their defense is actually a better top half defense in the NFL from like week 11 on. I was reading something about that this morning. I love Seattle here. They need the game. Uh, Niners playing for nothing. Niners have had a year from hell. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, you know, they also have a guy named DK Metcalf. So uh, pretty good. Uh, He's pretty good. I hear. Uh, I, I heard uh, he. Uh, so yeah, I, I just think Seattle rolls here. I mean, I think they had a big win last week against uh, Los Angeles, and you know, just an in-conference game like that can you know can uh, can uh, you know uh, jump lift a team to go you know make a Super Bowl run. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they're playing for something. Niners playing for nothing. Second one, we got kind of the same deal. I don't think we need to spend a ton of time on this one unless you have some uh, outlandish take, which I don't think you will. Saints minus six and a half against the Panthers. Saints are in play for the one seed. The Panthers are not a good football team. That Saints defense is nasty. The Panthers play well against average teams, particularly good teams with average defenses. The Saints have an elite defense. Um, This is, you know what? This is going to be my last lock. I'm going Saints minus six and a half here. I think they blow them out. I think they have a shot at the one seed. They'll be obviously be rooting for the Bears, if I'm not mistaken, and they need yep. Seattle to win out. If I'm not, I think I have that right. I think that's their playoff scenario. Someone can correct me and tweet me if I'm wrong. Saints no, minus six correct. and a half easily. You're correct. Uh, you're correct on that scenario. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I just think the Saints roll here. I mean, uh, there's just that defense is pretty stout and – uh, that was one of the, you know, problems with these last Saint teams that, you know, that would get to the to the playoffs and, you know, and uh, falter in the championship or, you know, uh, uh, or, you know, first round. But uh, I like the Saints defense a lot. And, you know, Drew Brees uh, coming back, uh, you know, he'll be in stride and I think it'll be a good one. He just beat me to the lock. So um, I'll lock it with you. So we'll just all have five locks in the same. And now for Rippy's personal hell game of the weekend because my Tennessee Titans, because they lost in such terrible fashion at Lambeau field last week, which snow game at Lambeau can't fault them for that in their own right. But the Titans have pissed away a couple winnable games this year. They lost to the Bengals. They lost a couple other ones that are just head scratching. The Tennessee Titans are now in a position because of how the tiebreakers are shaking out. If I'm not mistaken, and I have this math, right? The Titans cannot get a wild card. So they either win and they win the division and get in the playoffs for the, they win the division for the first time in I think like eight or nine years, maybe longer than that, or they lose and they're out of the playoffs completely. Uh, assuming the Colts don't lose, I think against Jacksonville, which not going to happen. So it's basically they win and they win the division. They lose. They're out. They're minus seven and a half against the Texans. And, and maybe this is my scar tissue talking, and I like Deshaun Watson. I don't trust the Titans for shit here. So I'm going to hedge my bets and just say Texans plus 7.5 uh, just because I really just am not going to enjoy watching a snap of this game. And if the Titans really make me mad, maybe I'll win some money in the process. So Texans plus 7.5, I'll take them. Yeah, I mean, you know, that just seems like a lot of points. And this seems like a, a, a Tennessee wins with a late field goal, like almost kind of – being down all all game long and then you know making a fourth quarter comeback and kicking a field goal so uh, i would rather have the points in this situation so i'm about to agree with you 
Dude, if you're a Titans fan and you're confidently betting the Titans here, you either have not been a Titans fan very long or you're just brazenly brave and I'm much braver than I am. So Godspeed to the Titans fans out there hammering the Titans minus seven and a half. I think anyone who's been a Titans fan since the get go probably knows how this may play out. So I'm hedging to say the least. I'm I'm hedging my money with my emotions, which, you know, not a bad trade off. So I hope they win the game. I hope they, you know, perfect world. They win it by three and I, I, I live happily ever after, but I, well, I, I've seen this movie before, man, is all I'm going to say. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, it is what it is, but yeah, that's why we, uh, that's why we bet the sports and that's why we watch the sports. And I'll go one last thing to avoid getting on complete Titans tangent. You're coming off an AFC championship game. You're coming off a year where you kind of found a formula, you found a quarterback, you found a robotic running back, you found an identity. You're a joke of an organization if you missed the playoffs a year after this when all you had to do was go beat the Houston Texans with an interim head coach on the road to win the division. So the Titans have to win this game. If you, if you, I cannot take them seriously as a franchise if they lose, lose this. I'm about to start getting mad and talking myself into it before it even happens. So I'm just going to hold off until next week's show for that rant, but please win this game. You're an absolute joke of a franchise. If you lose this game. So that's all I got to say. I know I'm not the only Titans fan listening to this that feels the same way uh, or that. Yeah. I'm not the only one who feels this way. I know there's people listening that feel the same way. Win the game, please. I don't even really want to have the conversation if they don't. Yeah. Like win the game by like three or four touchdowns and like, and just be like, this is, this was never a doubt. I skipped over one. So which one are you? You're going Texans here too. Yeah, I mean, I just like I said, I feel like they'll be down the whole. I feel like they'll be down the whole game, and then they'll make a great fourth quarter run, and maybe get, you know, a big run from Derrick Henry, like a forty yard touchdown run to, you know, take the lead and leave enough time for to lose by a field goal or win by a field goal. I skipped one more game that doesn't matter. The Jags, the tight, the Colts have to have the poor 10 and five Indianapolis Colts have to have win and have to have a win and some help to uh, get into the playoffs, which is crazy with how well they played. And, you know, we talked about this for, for about a month, Greg, where there was going to be a team in the AFC at 10 and six at minimum that gets left out of the playoffs. And that's exactly what's ended up happening. Somebody is going to go 10 and six in the AFC and get left out of the playoffs. So you basically got the Titans, Dolphins, Ravens, Browns, and Colts. So that's five teams for, it's really four teams for three spots because the Titans can only win the division. So you've got Dolphins, Colts, Ravens and Browns all at 10 and five fighting for three spots. And one of those teams is getting left out and the Titans could join uh, one of those teams as well. If the, if they lose obviously and the Colts win, then they win the division. So kind of a weird situation going on, but you're going to have a really, really good team in the AFC left out of the playoffs. If you're talking about who deserves it, I would argue the Browns deserve to be left out. Uh, out of that bunch, but that's not how they do things. You have to go play the games. That being said, Colts are minus 14 against the Jags. I'm just penciling in the Colts. If they don't blow them out, then I don't, I don't know what to say. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, do we know who's uh, the quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars? Is it, is it? I think Minshew's back. Okay, good. Well, let's uh, take the Colts to win by five touchdowns. Yeah, I think they have to blow this one out. I just, it, it doesn't, I mean, if, if they don't, then they're really playing with fire. Last game of the year, last game of the 2017 or 2020 <laughs> regular season. I was trying, I crossed between week 17 and 2020. I know it's not 2017. I'd still be in college if that were the case. 
Washington football team, out of all the things that have happened this year, they cut the guy who started the last two games for them at quarterback this week. They cut Dwayne Haskins. They got Alex Smith, who's going to win the comeback player of the year, potentially going to start for them again. They've had three quarterbacks start this year. Their coaches had cancer. They've had all kinds. They started off like one and six, and now they're six and nine. And they beat the four and ten Philadelphia Eagles with Jalen Hurts at quarterback. Your Washington football team is hosting the play, hosting a playoff game. I say yours just collectively, not actually you, America's team. Um, but they are minus one and a half on the road against the Eagles. I'm going Washington football team here. I think the Eagles stink. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Haskins was actually the uh, reason why they were losing. <laughs> so, uh, with that being said, yeah, I, I just you know. Uh, man, you know, Jalen Hurts is a winner, man. I'm not going to take anything away from Jalen Hurts, and uh, he's a great player, and he's kind of, and he's fun to watch. But, uh, you know, I just think that, uh, you know, Terry McLaurin's going to get them, uh, uh, get them together, and I, I don't see why Washington can't win this game. They're a good team with Alex Smith. Without Alex Smith, they're a disaster. That's really just kind of – I mean, they're decent. I, I should say this. They're a decent team with Alex Smith, and they're an absolute disaster without him. It's a waste of a good defense with just utter incompetence at quarterback. I mean, this is a conversation for another day, but they spent the number two overall pick on a guy they just cut after two years. That's really, really bad. And, you know, all the stories are coming out now that it was a classic Dan Snyder meddled his way into a draft pick. So they draft the quarterback number two overall that none of the football people want. And shocker, he's cut a year and a half later, which is I guess shocking to some, but it doesn't sound like it's shocking to anyone around that organization. Anyway, I'm rooting for the storyline here. It would be awesome to see Alex Smith go back to the playoffs. It's just a cool story. So I'm going Washington here. Also think they're much better than the Eagles. So we're both on Washington there. And that is the 2020, I keep doing that, 2020 regular season, Greg. We are through with the regular season after this Sunday. Yeah, I mean, you know, at one point we didn't think we'd get one football game and then we just got a whole season together. So credit the NFL. And, you know, I know they've had some COVID scares here and there and they've had to, you know, some teams had to not, you know, play some starters. And But it is what it is. And uh, But, yeah, um, congratulations to the NFL uh, for getting in, uh, getting in the whole season, of course. We Seriously, did. With, yeah, we, one, we needed it. We needed the entertainment. Uh, this podcast needed it. America needed a distraction. But credit to them. With all the crap that has gone on and everything they've had to battle through, they finished 17 weeks of football on time with no delays. That's uh, pretty impressive stuff. People don't really like to credit major sports organizations. Like, it's a cool thing online to just complain about how stupid people are and guys that get paid millions don't actually know what they're doing. That's impressive. And it's it's incredibly impressive and I'm glad they got to the finish line, but uh, we're through 17 weeks. If I ever really get a wild hair, I'm going to go back and tally our regular season records in the NFL and college. Like I said, I tend to be lazy, so please don't like hold me to that. But uh, I could shock the world next week on our playoff podcast and have our regular season records. But this was awesome, dude. I appreciate it. We're not done. We're sticking around through the playoffs, but uh, the culmination of the regular season, this was fun. Yeah, for sure. You know, like you were saying, if I just – we, at one point, we didn't think we'd get anything, and we, and we got a full season. So, um, you know, it's always a, always good to get the sports in because, you know, uh, just big believer that sports, you know, you, you know unite us as uh, people. And, uh, it's, uh, and it's good to, uh, and, and good to get together with family and, you know, watch your favorite team regardless of who they are. So uh, just, you know, credit to the NFL. And this is a good uh, – and we'll get, uh, we'll get better in 2021, it seems like. 
Absolutely, dude. Check him out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. I'll be hitting him up tomorrow. You should, too. Go grill some meats for as you ring in the new year and what is hopefully a much better, much safer, and much happier year than 2020 was. But go check him out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Glad to be back in Oxford. Can't wait to go grab some meats tomorrow. It's going to be great. Greg, we'll be back next week for the playoffs. I appreciate it. I hope everyone enjoyed this super long podcast. You've got the uh, two-parter with the interview from uh, Indiana John, Indiana beat writer John Blau, and then, of course, our normal Fresh Cuts. We'll be back at it next week for a playoff edition of Fresh Cuts, but everybody be safe. Have a happy new year, and we will talk to you next week. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.